everyone welcome back to the pod and the pendulum the horror movie podcast covering all horror movie franchises i am your host mike snoonian joined once again by my co-host jerry smith jerry how are we doing i'm pretty good not too bad today Uh, i'm excited not too bad that sounds like not even that positive uh yeah no i'm excited about this one because uh what's weird is i'm not a huge fan of it but i think this is the movie in the series that i've seen the most which is weird interesting yeah yeah i had it uh on vhs when i was a kid uh before i owned the other ones i think it was like in the discount bin and i, mm-hmm. I bought it and i did i watched this movie religiously so you bought into the robert england sales pitch where he was like why everyone needs to buy the latest version of a nightmare at elm street on video cassette you bought the pitch and basically owned Dude, it. that guy could have sold me candy out of a van at that point and oh I yeah he, it, he could and probably did at some point <laughs> right he probably yeah. did so um yeah hey how are you over there right now by the way how is um are you in one of the areas that are affected by the wildfires I'm about just under an hour away from it, but it's still, I mean, it's gnarly. Like I go outside and it looks like Silent Hill and I'm not even Mm -hmm. exaggerating. Like our car was so clean and we went to the, I think, grocery store last night and I came back and it was just like covered in dust and dirt and everything. It's, It's like ash in the sky. Like, it's, it looks like, you see all these pictures of, of Blade Runner 2049 that people are posting as a joke. Like, it, it kind of really looks like yeah. that outside. It's weird. I know that, like, friend of the pod and occasional host, uh, co-host Brian Kuyper is in an area that's been affected. Like, he's almost, like, in the center of it, but everything is going on, like, around him. Um, yeah. And I know uh, he, we, he's been we posting. both. Uh, we both, Brian and I both write for Dread Central, so we talk via the Dread Central Slack, and he was telling me that some of his coworkers lost their homes already. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. I know his, yeah, I know, like, a lot of schools in that area are closed down, and 2020, man, is... You know, I've just started saying that in general. Anytime, like, I stub my toe, or my kid does bad yeah. at a math test. <laughs> 20 fucking 20. It's just really awful. Yeah. So we are in the middle of getting ready for our virtual schools to open. Like the district I work in, we're completely virtual this uh, to start the year. And it is something else trying to get ready. I'm trying to 
hold my tongue a little bit because you never know who's listening in the district. Yeah. So um, I'll just say that it is like absolutely something else. And like, as a counselor, I don't have it nearly as bad as like the teachers are going to have it. And my God, I feel bad for what they're going to get, get put through this yeah. year and the kids. So, all right. On that happy note, we have a movie to talk about. And yes, we when we talk movies, we have guests. So let's, Let's welcome a first-time guest to the show. He is one of the co-hosts of the Eerie, Eerie Earfuls podcast, which relaunched earlier in 2020 after it looks like a two-year hiatus. Kind of like figure like now's a good time to get creative again with all the bad shit going on. Uh, we have Justin Dow. Justin, how are we doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Doing good. Welcome yeah. on, man. I wanted to have you on after listening to the episode you did with your wife on the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Oh, yeah. Because I thought that was like such a fun listen. And I'm like, I really like this show. And let's get Justin on. I, I, if, I, if I end up on the, the remake episode, I am prepared to scrap. Not okay. <laughs> Are you going to be the guy that defends the remake? I'm a soft defender of it. <laughs> soft defender. So What's it's funny talking, is uh, mm-hmm. we have somebody from the remake coming on the show to not defend the remake. <laughs> <laughs> that would be Rooney Mara, who never wanted to be oh, in right. it. No, that's not true. We, we could not land Rooney Mara. Yeah. So, but we will probably, God, that'll be a fun. It's very difficult to get me angry. There are very few things in this world <laughs> I tend to be a pretty calm and chill person. Um, this Nicholas Cage and uh, Jackie Earl it's Haley. Really, and I like <laughs> Jackie Earl Haley. Um, you know, and I don't mind Nicholas Cage, but like the Nightmare on Elm Street is one of the few things that like really get under my skin. So there'll probably be a day of mindfulness before we record that episode. Yeah, um, I'm hearing that you're a big supporter of like a Nightmare on Elm Street remake, but this time Freddy Krueger's Nicolas Cage. Oh, gee. You know what? Right. Oh. Why the fuck not? You know, no, why the fuck I not? would be there. I would be there. And as long yeah. as like the cast, as long as the cast isn't asleep this time around. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and I, we're not talking about sleeping for the purposes of the movie. We're talking about <laughs> literally being asleep through their performances. All right. You heard her in the background. She has co-hosted a number of times. She's joined us. Actually, she joined us for our script reading of Dream Child. We did back at the start of this pandemic when we thought like, this would be a fun way to pass two or three weeks before things <laughs> go back to normal. Mm. Vera, how are we doing? Hello. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I'm happy to be here. It is a pleasure to have you back on the show. So totally. thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So I want to get everyone's, um, I want to get everyone's take on where they first watched this movie and kind of like what it meant to them, like what it is about Elm Street 5 that really kind of called to them and makes them want to spend their Thursday evening talking about it here. Well, I, I think I'll go first. The reason that I want to spend my Thursday talking about it is because we do every sequel in a franchise. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but that's a joke. No, but seriousness, uh, all seriousness. Uh, I was such a huge fan of Dream Master when it first came out. It was actually the first Elm Street film that I saw. I saw in the theater. You know, so I, like from that movie on watching the Dream Master, like I was a huge fan of that movie, you know, and I'd go back and try to watch the first three so I, I, with how much I loved Dream Master, I thought the Dream Child would kind of continue that kind of aesthetic. And 
you know, even as a kid, I was just like, wow, this is not, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just not the same thing, but being a kid and being that into Freddie at that time, like, you know, the remake could have come out when I was like eight or nine and I would have thought it was, you know, Citizen Kane, <laughs> you know, like, like I loved this movie when it first came out, I had it on VHS. And to be honest, like I was saying before the show started, actually, no, it was on the show. Oops. Uh, I've probably seen this one the most out of all of them, just cause I had it on VHS and it was that kind of unrated cut with the extra gore, mm-hmm. you know, and as a, as a young kid that, you know, you wanted to see gore you wanted to see faces of death as stupid as it is. You wanted to see all that stuff and having a little bit more of some of the best kills in the series, you know, this, I ate it up. Yeah. I don't remember when I first saw it. I, want to go so far as to say i don't know if i saw this one before the dvd box set came out in the late 90s oh wow i think Mm. it might have been just one of those movies that like i just never got to see um you know i know that i saw one through four on vhs like a bazillion times growing up like either on videotape or like on hbo or cinemax like those are in constant rotation um and i know that i saw a new nightmare like in between my sophomore and junior year of college um when i was dating a a woman at the time and we like watched it we were on like vacation with her family together um but like five and six i don't think i actually saw them until like way late in the game so i don't have as many of like the warm and fuzzy memories that i do with like the first four parts and then um a little bit of a preview for our new nightmare episode i'm like doing some like reflection i'm like it's the reason why i'm not so high in this movie is because it like came right before like a really shitty breakup you know, mm-hmm. is it like triggering mm-hmm. memories of like writing bad poetry as a 21 year old and, you know, like wondering if I'll ever find true love, you know? I mean, so I wonder if it's, <laughs> if it's that, you know, damn it, Wes Craven. Um, right. And how about and Justin and, and Vera, how about yourselves? Yeah, for me, I, I to be honest with you, this particular installment of the franchise is one that I remember very well. Um, I think I was probably, I, I must've been seven ish when it, when it when it came out in 89. And um, the thing about this franchise for me is it was instilled in my head from a very young age, from too, too young. I, I remember sleeping at a friend's house, my best friend growing up, and um, we would always get her brother's room because he had bunk beds and I got to sleep on the bottom because my friend was a bitch, but I slept on the bottom and she got the top bunk. But um, when they, when the my friend's mom shut the door on the back of the door was a poster and it was a big poster for the original movie um, Nightmare on Elm Street. And um, that was horrifying. I was five. Like that was a terrifying image to fall asleep to, especially when the older brother would tell us the stories about what the movie was. Um, so I think when it came to this particular movie, um, 
being a little bit older, I say older, I wasn't 10 yet, but, um, <laughs> when you were still high single digits, <laughs> of course, <laughs> but I think this is the one that I convinced my parents that I could see. Um, and I don't know why, I don't know, I don't know where it came from. I don't know if it was because it was a little more cartoony, if it was a little more, um, just, it, which it really, it wasn't. It's a very sadistic movie, but it had a different tone than the first three, the first four. And I, I think that, I think that with that tonal shift came a different audience, like a younger audience. Um, this was my, one of, this was my first introduction to, to I think it was my first introduction to Freddie other than the poster on the wall. Mm -hmm. And it, it's what got me hooked. You had just mentioned like the brother that, would tell you and your and his sister and your friend about like the Elm Street movies. And here is my Oof. question, because I remember growing up, like I had cousins my own age that would say they saw all these movies. Like I had a cousin that convinced me that like in the Friday the 13th movies, like Jason had a baby and would talked and like showed up <laughs> at hospitals to like say mm -hmm. my baby back, you know? And like, <laughs> so obviously he was completely full of shit. I wonder, like, did this kid actually see the movies or was he like, when you look back at what he told you the plot was, or you're like, that never happened in any of these movies? Like, yeah, like, I don't know. He could have been karate kid. <laughs> a nine year old poser, I guess, but like, <laughs> <laughs> aren't they all? <laughs> but I do remember being five six years old and you know just starting school all bright-eyed and happy and this kid telling me at my best friend's house like when you sleep someone's gonna come kill you and I'm like oh no <laughs> oh my god it's funny how like kids did that like they would they would take even just poster art and and weave these like crazy stories about it like I went camping with my 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 cousins and my uncle once and we stopped to buy a gas station and they rented uh, VHS tapes inside of it. And we went in there and there was a poster for April Fool's Day. And I remember like as a kid, go, like being freaked out about that poster, like does she hang people with her hair? That would and, be incredible. Oh. And I, I, no, I went back and my older cousin, Missy, uh, rest in peace. But uh, uh, yeah, she was just like, yeah, I've seen that movie. She goes around and she wraps it around the kid's next and she just runs <laughs> that's awesome oh my god i want to see and, like and i do have a question i do have a question you know you, mm -hmm. you said that this was most likely your first introduction to freddie i'm see for me uh the dream master was but i'd hear all these playground stories about how terrifying and like evil freddie was so i stayed away from those movies until i saw four in the theater and i remember mm -hmm. even at that age being eight or nine seeing it in theater going well, this guy's not half as scary as, you know, right. everything. Like, it was fun. You know, it was, it was like a, it was like an addiction after that. I thought he was the coolest motherfucker in the world. And how four, cool was it going back to one, two, and three and being like, shit, Freddy was actually scary at one point. It's so, like, instead of being introduced to Freddy the scary monster, you got Freddy the caricature as your I got first. Freddy, I got Freddy the golden shower by a dog character. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> I, I have something on that, but I want to hear from Justin first. Yeah. Who's been super patiently waiting. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so my, my experience with the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise was sort of weird. My, my mom didn't really give a shit what we watched growing up, except for Nightmare. And that was like the one caveat she had. She was like, no, you can't watch that. That's too scary. You'll have to wait. 
I think I eventually convinced her when I was around like 10 to let me watch it. Uh, but I, I, I kind of am jealous of the folks that watched it when they were like seven and eight because you got to have that sort of pants shitting terror because I, mm-hmm. by the time I was 10, was sort of like, well, those arms are kind of goofy when he like rakes the alleyway mm-hmm. walls and stuff. And I enjoyed it a lot, but it was it didn't have that that pure child terror. Yeah. Um, but we actually rented them all. Uh, we had a video store back when video stores were a thing, and we rented all six of them uh, in and w- just watched them over a weekend. I think my brother was like eight at the time, and uh, I remember that when I got to Dream Child, um, it's funny that uh, I was listening to your previous episodes on on four and you guys were talking about how four is that that nice balance of comedic and and scary and as a kid that wasn't my impression to me three was i guess sort of peak spooky freddy mm-hmm. and then four he got kind of cartoony like mm-hmm. knife glove jaws shark through the yes. beach what we call vacation freddy around yeah, these vacation freddy. <laughs> And then five to me was almost sort of a return to slightly darker. Um, it because mm-hmm. I guess because the tone of the movie has so much sort of gothic imagery and, mm-hmm. and those like the the churches and the the weird looking strollers and stuff. That as a kid I was like I kind of like this one. This one's kind of dark. Um, and you get Mean Freddy again, like just Mean Freddy. There's one. It's my favorite line in the whole franchise. Not because the line's great, just because delivery where Freddy's mom is basically calling him out towards the beginning and, and telling him, you know, hey, you can't do this. And he just goes, we'll see, bitch. And it's just like... Like, like every Jesus. other line oh. ended in bitch in this movie. It was, yeah. Fred, yeah, Freddy like was a little... Freddy. He goes from yeah. vacation Freddy to thug Freddy. It's movie. almost like Freddy has something against women, which is... Yeah, you would think. Definitely yeah, a weird right? thing from a child murderer. You know, <laughs> definitely. Oh, you're odd. Um, it, it's funny because, like, I think you were saying to a certain degree how, like, the tone has shifted a bit, Jerry and Vera, like how it's a bit more goofy and a bit more silly by part four. And I think we'll talk a bit about, like, because I think there's, like, to Justin's point, two wildly different tones that are going on in this mm. film. Um, mm-hmm. I was watching, like putting stuff together for this show and I like downloaded a commercial for Freddy's Nightmares, which would have been um, debuting right around the time of um, part five debuting during the summer, Freddy's Nightmares in the fall. And like the voiceover for the show says like, the, you know, the most misunderstood horror movie character. And it's almost like they're trying to rehabilitate Freddy Krueger's mm. character a bit to like, kind of like f- not remind people that like, oh yeah, this is a, a child murderer. That they almost want to make him a little bit more likable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and like you see in this movie, like there are only three deaths in this movie. Like in the Elm Street movies are never really big on body counts overall but like there's a lot more kind of playfulness in this movie than it is like you had said like pants shitting terror in this like that kind of is gone and there's a much more playful tone when freddy's on the screen but when he's not on the screen and they have these nightmare sequence like there's some real horrific things there and i find that really interesting oh i i agree a hundred percent uh, it, it, what's weird is like when Freddy's not doing his thing in this movie, it almost becomes like an 80s like drama. 
Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like it's it's like the drama's heavy in this. I don't even mean yeah. that in a negative way. I just mean like the writing, like it's it's a very in the other in the previous films, you know, it, they they tried to be scary and they they were successful at that. But when Freddy wasn't around, they were still kind of playful. No. This movie, it's it's like an A twenty four movie until Freddy shows up. Well, forget <laughs> about forget about Freddy versus Jason. This is like the Kramer versus Kramer of yeah. Our movie. <laughs> You know, it's really like, who's going to keep Jacob, you know, Alice or Dan's parents? Like, when we all knew, when we all know, hindsight, watching this movie after seeing Jurassic Park, that no one should have kept that motherfucker for crushing raptors. Yeah. (laughs) Jacob's a weird looking kid, man. (laughs) I don't care how he looks. I just have a problem with him trying to talk shit about raptors. All right. Well, you know, I was going to see if we could get him on the show, but after saying (laughs) that's probably... (laughs) pretty successful career honestly he really did he did <laughs> oh, it's, uh, a few years ago my kids were watching glee uh why i don't know but uh they were watching it and that dude showed up as a teacher for like an episode or two jacob mm-hmm. the guy that plays jacob and the whole time i was just like where do i know that mm-hmm. face from like you know like where do i know that kid and then out of nowhere it just popped out the part where he spits at the end of dream child and i was like whoa that's the whole story. Yeah, he did go. a great job in this movie. I have to like throw that up. Yeah, all of the, I mean, all of the kids did a great job, but Jacob in particular, I think his name is Whit Whitby. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he did a great job. I was, I think it was in the Never Sleep Again um, documentary where he talks about how his father died during the filming yeah. of this, or right before, and this kind of gave him something to do, and I think that's why he was so. Um, just i was so affected by him watching yeah. this and I, I, he did i think he did very well but yeah fuck him in jurassic park so <laughs> <laughs> um so i want to talk a little bit like this comes out summer of 1989 which when you look back like that is one of the craziest years for summer movies and it's almost like the start of what we have come to know as like the summer movie season um you get Tim Burton's Batman, which yes. is in like that was the event movie to end all event movies, like Batmania completely gripping the nation by this at this time. Yeah, I had so many cups. Oh my god, kids with like the Batman logo shaved into the back of their heads, dude. Um, I had the Batman face paint on my face for two weeks yeah. until I got an infection. <laughs> I used to go and I would just go beat up homeless people to be more like Batman. <laughs> like, you criminal, ah, take it, you know, how dare you? Guys you like, not- what the hell? I just need laundry, no. you know, absolutely. <laughs> Said lodging. Why are you twelve-year-olds being? Oh, but but I mean, like, yeah, like, I, you know, what makes me think of the, what made me think of this was like the movie Weird Al's movie UHF because I remember him talking about like why that movie wasn't like a smash success. He's like, well, I think we debuted in between Batman and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ooh. so he didn't really have you know much of a chance with this movie. Well, that and it was, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I like Weird Al, but I mean, yeah, when you have Indiana Dude, I will Jones t- and Batman. I will, 
I will boot you from the show so fast. Oh I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not slandering Weird Al Yankovic. This house no, we but, respect I mean, we're going to see Batman twice before we go see you uh, Jeff once. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, you have Indiana Jones, you have Batman, you have Murtaugh and Riggs before, right. before the racism kicked in. Mm-hmm. You know, this is pre-racism of Mel Gibson. Ghostbusters you know, you, too. Dude, yeah. you have Keanu Reeves with half of his head shaved in parenthood, mm-hmm. basically. You know, you have Joaquin Phoenix learning to have a boner in parenthood. You know, you have Ethan Hawke being pensive in Dead Poet Society. It was one of the best years ever. Dude, Rick mm-hmm. Moranis shrinking kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do the right thing. And then you have like The Abyss comes out. The Abyss isn't like a massive success, but it definitely takes a chunk of that audience yeah. away and then you have like what's interesting I, I think almost like the wild card here is like when harry met sally and kind of like hear me out on this one because like the producers of elm street five talk about trying to capture like an older audience for this movie right mm-hmm. so you're trying to get like late not even teens anymore but maybe more of the college crowd that grew up in the first few elm street movies so you know these are date movies i mean let's face it like horror movies at this time are just date movies where you are going to a crowded theater in the middle of the summer doing whatever you can do to get to second base i mean that is definitely what you're trying to do here like i do not remember the first time i saw batman because i was attached at the face to like the girl i was dating. i had to go back and see it again because it was like Michael Keaton was in that movie? Like, fuck if I know. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what's funny is... But people, uh, you, your date movie is now like mm-hmm. when Harry met Sally. Well, that and, I mean, you, you said that, you know, this movie was kind of marketed, uh, tried to beat the older crowd. That is the scariest thing ever if you're like 20 years old going on a date for the mm-hmm. first time and you see Dream Child mm-hmm. and it's so in your face with, hey, if you get pregnant, you're keeping this motherfucker. Yeah. Can you imagine being oh a date, God. looking at your date going, oh shit, oh, shit. I need to go home. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. So, and the other thing too is like, this is a movie where like Bob Shea and New Line Cinema break the cardinal rule, which is like, they come up with a release date for the movie before a script is finished and a director is hired. That, my friends, is never the sign of a success of a movie that's going to be a success. Not at all. Like whenever you watch a behind-the-scenes documentary of a movie that didn't quite perform as well as expected, usually they'll say one of two things: like, well, we had a release date before like the script was written. Or we didn't know who was going to direct the movie and like we had to rush to make a release date. You know, you can take your time. This comes out a less than a year after part four, which is a massive success. Like part four is the most successful movie in the franchise until you get to Freddy versus Jason. Mm-hmm. So people were ready for Freddy. Like it wasn't like they were quite tired of him quite yet although you can see like it is getting a little bit long in the tooth by this point well that and it's it's interesting because this movie is such a gothic kind of serious Mm -hmm. movie in its tone and like you were saying like freddy's nightmares was around the same time and that was such a 180 from this tone yeah like that was such a playful silly show Mm -hmm. you know yeah i mean freddy's nightmares is just kind of a lark i mean it's like he's barely in it 
you know, for, and I think we have Ader and I watched an episode, uh, the Mick Garris, which you're interviewing Mick Garris, aren't you? Or did you do that today? Uh, I was supposed to do that today, but it got rescheduled till tomorrow. Okay. So yeah, yeah, did he tomorrow. have to like shampoo his hair? Is that why? He's like, dude, can't. <laughs> he's like well i ran out of vo5 no, uh, no it, was, it was it was my fault i had to reschedule it okay um well we watched like, the mick garris penned uh killer instincts episode and mm-hmm. we're like where is freddie in this like where is freddie in the freddie tv show like he's not in it yeah he got replaced with like brad pitt and Lori petty and stuff oh, which i mean hey that's cool it's all right i guess i guess it's all right so what do we know about Stephen Hopkins and what do we think of like the, just the look and feel before we get into like the characters, like the look and feel of like Freddy's, uh, the dream child. What do we think of like just the aesthetic of it? So I um, <clears throat> love, I'm a huge sucker for, for dramatic gothy type stuff. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a goth kid at heart with a, mm-hmm. with a very basic white dude aesthetic but the uh i i love there are concepts in this that i think are are great and if they had had time to to like write a script would have been uh could have been really great like i i love the his resurrection scene i love the sort of weird long arm situation he's got going on when he stands up and's like it's a boy mm-hmm. he's got that crazy long uh, malformed arm uh i i like the I like the sort of almost, it's almost like the opposite of Immaculate Conception. Like mm. he's almost like, well, I mean, he's almost kind of the an- the Antichrist in that his conception and birth is so violent and dark and horrible that they really cement him as this oppressive force when he's not, you know, like, turning into a superhero and blowing air at people and cutting them up <laughs> like a cartoon character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Stephen Hopkins had a very visual, unique style to this. He brought like a really unique comic book flair to it and gothic flair to it. Like three years after Jason Lives introduces like a gothic feel to the Friday the 13th series, like Hopkins takes that and really blows it up uh you look back on like the look of the abandoned asylum in particular and visually that is like such a stunning um set piece and just like the color palette that's used i think like even the abandoned church that is re- with the stained glass that's revisited um the look of the psychopaths when they're in the asylum like it does have that old classic movie monster feel to it mm. that crane shot in the asylum where mm-hmm. yeah hover over the crowd is just so good mm-hmm. that's my favorite thing about this movie actually is the design of it like i mean love or hate the movie if it works for you if it doesn't that's fine but like this movie just looks great and everything from like just the visual aesthetic i mean it's i, mean, I know we're gonna overuse the word gothic but i mean it rightfully so it has such a gothic feel to it everything from just the design of the sets to even like the sequences involving like the deaths i mean greta's death mm-hmm. is very like it, it feels less like a kill and more like a surreal like a surreal painting that you're looking at like the way it's yeah. set up you know like i hopkins has such a visual eye 
And it, it kind of makes sense that he would go on to do Predator 2 because that film very much looks, Predator 2 very much looks like a Dark Horse comic, you know, and, the, and Dark Horse is kind of known for that kind of gothic sensibility. And I, I feel like that's on full display with this movie too. Like Hopkins, he might not have been the most like uh, actor friendly director, yeah. but he was definitely, you know, friendly towards the visual, uh, you know, aesthetic of the film. Yeah, there is, I mean, I know Lisa Wilcox spoke about this a bit when we interviewed her, saying that, like, there was this idea that at this point, the star of the show were the special effects. And then, look, that's not, like, unique to Stephen Hopkins, and that's not unique to the Nightmare on Elm Street series. I think we all know that by, like, the mid to late 80s, um, character development often gave way to, like, a more visual spectacle, and what separated Elm Street from a lot of other series is the fact that it wasn't just like, what is the coolest kill overall? Like you weren't always just trying to one up like the, the body count or like how you could hack people to bits. But to Elm Street's credit, at the very least, it was about like, how cool can we make this look? But mm -hmm. the characters definitely take a back seat in this movie. And I think it's the first time in the series that that really happens. Yeah, we had seen that in like the Friday Thirteenth movies. I mean, it's it's like a notorious story that you know anyone, any of the actors filming Friday Thirteenth Three would ask for motivation, and they'd be like, "Well, I don't care. Just make sure you hit the three D camera right." Yeah. You know? And I feel like that series, as much as I love it, and I mean, I love it more than the Elm Street series, but that series fell victim to that time and time again. And I do think that, like you said, this is the first time we've seen that in a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, to where like the characters just they just nobody really spent much time not even just the characters themselves but i mean you and i talked to lisa wilcox last week and even just the camaraderie between mm -hmm. the cast was different this time around yeah yeah i mean she says like she's still like friends with almost everyone from part four but when it came to part five, like she's like, yeah, I don't really, I haven't really talked to any of them in like decades at this point. <laughs> and it wasn't like there was any great falling out or any like negative stories to really tell. It was just like, yeah, I just don't keep in touch with them at all. I think except for maybe it was like Kelly Jo Minter that she still maybe talks yeah. to. But that's really about it at that point. Now, I, I think as far as development with this movie, I think the most important thing that we need to touch on and, you know, we discovered this when we did the script reading of an early draft of this. The biggest mistake they had wasn't the fact that they didn't have a complete script and everyone and their mom basically wrote the script. The biggest mistake is that they took the rap out of the final script. I think you're right. <laughs> because yeah. that rap song, that rap song, it, it should have been in there. It, it would have saved the story. <laughs> <laughs> it would have made it make more sense. I think I remember. I think the only thing in, in the script reading. By the way, folks, you can go back through our archives. And my God, there's not a sober person in that. We are very sorry for it. Yeah, we apologize. Um, but you do get to hear Mike Vanderbilt's Freddy, which is worth it. Absolutely, and the rap song. And the rap song. Yes. Um, Again, sorry. <laughs> we, we apologize. I think that's the only thing that was like cut from the final draft because we thought we were getting a super early screw. It seems to read pretty close, except yeah, again. that that ends. I mean, <laughs> taking the rap song joke out of this whole thing. Uh, if you take the rap song out of a dream child, you still have a gothic Freddy movie. Yes. No, but they didn't have a, a, a you know a complete script going into this movie. This movie is 
so many writers with kernels of ideas put into mm -hmm. one script, you know, and credited to Leslie Bohem, who did an uncredited rewrite on Jason Goes to Hell. So, I mean, mm -hmm. that's cool, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> and this house, we respect Jason Goes to Hell. No, but like, it's, they did, and you know, I see this in your notes, and this is something I'm actually a huge fan of as far as the history of this movie. They put out basically a cattle call to every splatterpunk author and writer at the time. And, you know, any listeners, if you're not familiar with the kind of splatterpunk movement or writing in the 80s, please, please do yourselves a favor because The Kill Rift by David Chow is just amazing. But yeah, every writer in that kind of splatterpunk crew all had different ideas and pitches on where to take Freddy. And they didn't choose any of them. Right. They, just cher they just cherry picked so many ideas from every one of those writers. So yeah. it just, it doesn't like feel cohesive. Like Skip and Spectre, they talk about their idea. I think that they got the credit for this story idea. And they're like, in their draft of the movie, not only can Freddy get into the baby streams, but through the baby like Lisa can get into Freddy's dreams and it went in a very Kubrickian he what they described as a very Kubrickian direction which I kind of like I am very interested to get an under what they think that is like is it like you know 2001 but with Freddy Krueger like um because they don't they really go in the script to like like you know uh, uh, verbally abuse your actors, I think. Yeah, <laughs> went to well, you know, I guess, um, yeah, you know, but <laughs> like I guess that when they like pitch that and they in the and Shay and the production team was like, yeah, that's way too smart for our audience, so that didn't get used. Oh man, the David Shaw. The take is the one that I've always wanted to read. What's the Shao take? I, I believe that Shao's take was the cult, wasn't it? Like the kind of Fred heads that he also kind of like resurrected for Freddy versus Jason on his takes for that. I'm pretty I, sure the Fred heads was always around in his head. Really? I didn't think it was part of this one. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, you know, I could be wrong too. We should probably reach out to him and have him on the show to talk about this. We should. We but yeah, I mean, that. we had thinking out loud production meeting right? as we recorded. Yes. episode. there were so many writers all trying to give their stamp on this film. And there were little things like, oh, your script says it's a boy. We'll take that line, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and like I, I can't imagine being a writer and watching the end product and going, man, they didn't like any of my ideas, but there's one line I wrote. <laughs> it's the bastard script of a hundred maniacs. I mean, it's really... <laughs> okay, can, really quickly, can we jump into that scene? Because it's okay, early on in the film and that is easily, just to me, the most uncomfortable scene in the entire series. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Basically, you know, during the credits, we get this blue tinted... I mean, you don't know what it is when you're a kid, but when you're an adult, you're like, okay, there's some fucking. And, you know, and basically Alice goes into this nightmare where she follows, you know, Amanda Kruger being trapped with, you know, as the thing goes, you know, Bastard Son of a Thousand Maniacs, right. trapped with all of these just... I'm trying to word it right because I don't want to say mental it patients because that sounds very disrespectful. It is not the most respectful take on mental illness exactly. that's ever been seen on film. 
and we're basically exposed in some ways to how Freddy was created through this mm -hmm. insane gang rape that like oh my god it's so uncomfortable to watch and you get like Robert England playing basically you know one of the maniacs right you know and he has this look on his face and I don't think it's ever like left my brain since I saw it as a kid. He has this kind of maniacal look on his face that he's like so enjoying what's about to happen. It's, it's because such... he wasn't wearing makeup for once, though. <laughs> right? <laughs> he's like, yes. Yeah. I but mean, yeah, it's it's bad. He in part two, he's the bus driver, if I recall. Mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. trying to think if he has any cameos in four without makeup on and i'm like stuck at the moment to think for i'm stuck the, at the nurse one. she he's the nurse yes in for right yes that's right <laughs> he's the nurse so you know it's almost like hitchcock where he appears in the movies he's a little cameo as himself in these movies i'm just excited to not see bob shea in in like you know leather in this one so well you're a loss <laughs> right <laughs> But yeah, this scene is really, it's difficult. It's, you know, and by the way, like when I say it's like not necessarily the most respectful um, depiction of like mental health and mental illness, like I'm okay with that. And I say that as a mental health professional because like it's there for exaggerated effect. It's there for horror. It's not yeah. there to convey any sort of realism. It also, like I don't, you know, I don't, um, take issue with it because I know what they're going for with this scene. And Amanda Kruger gets the worst fate of anybody. I have that in my notes. Yeah. Man. So <laughs> let's do that. Let's talk that right now. So Justin, what is it to you that I think we're going to be on the same page here? What is it to you that like screams out the just shitty treatment this character gets? So I, I kind of have complicated uh, thoughts about Amanda Kruger in general, but um, one of the things I did not dig, uh, especially in, in my rewatch, was uh, I, I appreciated what they were trying to go for, for this aesthetic of like Alice takes in Jacob and there's this sort of like, you know, glow, it's warm, yay, of like a, a happy mom of the happy child. And then Amanda Kruger takes in this uh, alien like mm -hmm. basically the xenomorph and then gets cursed yeah. essentially to be the prison for freddie yeah. if this if if she had done it as like a noble sacrifice if it had been like a her divine calling as as a stand-in basically for god i probably would have been more okay with it because then it's she's you know answering some higher power but this was more like she just kind of got condemned like she just got the shit hand and it was like well you birthed him, so here you go. Hold him. Yeah, no, it's, a, totally. it's, a, it's a punishment. Like that last look on her, the last shot of her is this look of like abject horror and agony as like his hand comes bursting through her chest and she's like struggling to keep it in. And then the door slams and you're left with this idea that this poor woman who first endures a weekend of gang rape at the hands of a hundred people for the simple fact that two men couldn't be bothered to like do a head count and wait for her to get out. And then like her, the birthing scene itself, like when it, it, this is a little bit of an issue, this idea that because of the, and it, this is an idea that goes back in horror all the way to like 
Frankenstein and like James Whale's Frankenstein and Universal Pictures in 1931. The idea that like evil is somehow created through one's very nature that because of the nature of Freddy's birth, like he was always doomed to be bad at that point. And like the look of horror that like she's given from the other nurse when like this creature is birthed from her, like he's already like already has that. And then she's doomed to walk the earth trapped because she killed herself. And I know that's what Carby talk when about some of the um, really weird Catholic bent this movie has in a little bit. Mm. Um, oh, but like, why? Hmm? I was going to ask what she did to deserve that. Cause I, I was like, she didn't like, she just was a victim of circumstance being trapped down there with, with all of those patients. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, I didn't connect the fact that she right. killed herself. So that, answers one of my questions well, there's also that and i mean one thing about it that i've always read uh you know not in childhood obviously because i knew nothing about life but uh and also i i didn't mean to say you know son of a thousand maniacs because that's even a worse rape it is a hundred hoops uh <laughs> but the fact that i think it goes with the film's super anti-abortion take the, mm-hmm. the fact that alice wants jacob so it's this light at the end Whereas Amanda never wanted Freddy because of how he came, that she's doomed to be held onto this evil forever because she didn't want it. Like it's very, this movie is so preachy with that. Mm. Right. Yeah, the idea of Amanda being doomed into purgatory is due because she killed herself. And the, the Roman Catholic idea is because life is a gift from God. If you, thou should not kill is one of the 10 commandments and taking your own life is considered like the, one of the greatest affronts that you can have before God, because he, he has given you this life and you have rejected it. So that's why she's doomed. And I could be wrong, but I believe if you are Catholic and commit suicide, you still cannot be buried by the church. You can't have a proper Christian burial um i could be wrong on that listeners let us know on twitter or drop us an email i know that was a thing and maybe that's changed but i believe that is still the idea behind it but she makes a sacrifice to the end to take freddie back in and to like carry that burden and her reward for that is eternal suffering yep. and damnation and that's a really fucking awful fate for her to have well, that's the thing about this movie. Like, it's a fun movie at times, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it's it's entertaining to watch. But it's very, this is like a very yeah. cynical Elm Street. Yes. You know? Like, it's it's very, I hate to say the word cruel, because I don't think they set out to make, like, man, we're going to make the oh, killing but- of a sacred deer, you know, the dream child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's that? You know? What's that I think it is. I think you're right, uh, Jerry, in that it is a cruel, it, it is a cruel movie being disguised as like this fun little romp with these fun little kills. And it's like, it, it's, I mean, you get, it, it's so bizarre to me because you get these big uh, thematic uh, topics you get you get abortion you get teenage pregnancy you get eating disorders with Greta like you get these big topics that real life people are are dealing with and real life people the age who are seeing this movie are dealing with like you brought up before like this being a a a date movie right Jerry and then going Mm -hmm. and being like you know what we're not gonna fuck because (laughs) god forbid (laughs) or you know if if Alice had just taken 
you know, we were talking before the show went on and we, our conversation for whatever reason steered into territories of like technical versions and anal. And this would have been a much different movie <laughs> if Alice had just. Oh my God. Technical, you know? <laughs> Do I need to edit this part? <laughs> oh my God. Does this say, you know, it would have been a much different movie at that point. Cause remember kids can't make any babies in the butt. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, so. (laughs) Justin, you look horrified right now. You're like, (laughs) I did not sign up for this. This is horseshit. No, I was actually playing through the the alternate movie in my (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) I think I've seen that movie, but I had to pay a different price. Yeah, it was definitely in a different section. No child. It was definitely a section in the video store that was different from the horror movie section. Right, it was the cream child. Like, yes. it was just completely different. <laughs> so, a wet dream on Elm Street. Exactly. There it is. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, let's move, you know, let's keep the good times rolling here with a talk about abortion. Let's definitely sure. keep it light and fluffy keep for the laughs. this episode. Laugh a minute right here. This is like Ted Cruz's wet dream of a movie. Right? <laughs> it is. It's oh. like potential like remember to go out and vote november 3rd folks because ted cruz is on the short list to replace <laughs> rbg who needs to 2020. be 2020 <laughs> 2020 man this is this is where we get like the three-star reviews that are like i like their show until they get all social justice warrior <laughs> on me you know that's where we get like the negative reviews at that point but you know, horror movies aren't political no yeah. never <laughs> Sorry, sorry for uh, making political statements about Alien, guys. Sorry, our bad. Fire Jerry, which is still, I'm sorry, Jerry. It's ever. still my favorite review. Oh, like, dude, I, I'm going to print that and put it in a frame. That's, That's going to be. Wasn't that the whole review? When we get our first, when we get our, when we make t-shirts eventually, one is going to be Fire Jerry, and the other is going to be like, these are like two drunk uncles that think they know what they're talking about, which is probably my second. Yeah, but here's the deal like we don't know anything like no one's <laughs> pretending that I oh no i'm i'm being i'm being sarcastic yes we do. No. so abortion no so yes abortion, abortion. Mm. Let's jump into this. this is like a weird fucked up angle to take like in the middle and you know obviously this is a hot button issue and has always been a hot button issue in this country but like i don't get the weird anti-abortion vibe that is going on like someone explain it to me someone explain why this is here I actually don't think it's that different from like most most movies about pregnancy not even horror movies but just movies that are about pregnancy um you if they bring up abortion it is usually um someone goes well you could and then someone goes no 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 and then yeah just quickly tossed aside Justin, you're right. Like, it's always, um, I mean, unless it's a movie about abortion, there's never this discussion about abortion. It's, it's, a, dis, it's a dismissive uh, just comment that's made because sitcoms, movies, books, anything that comes across it is very much, this is an option. Meh. You know, you're right. Exactly. I so think I that's to... why I, oh, sorry, I didn't mean it. No, go you. ahead. I think that's why I appreciate, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the kind of Porky's era of movies. Like even, you know, growing up, it just didn't do it for me. But I think that's why I'm such a huge fan of The Last American Virgin. Because it's one of those like sex comedies of the 80s that actually tackles abortion head on towards the later half. And it gets really like serious for a while. 
And you don't get that during that time. Especially, like, Mm -hmm. the thing about this movie that always just rubbed me wrong, it's not just an anti-abortion movie. It's, like, so forcefully an anti-abortion movie. Like, like, especially Dan's parents. Like, they do not want to think of the possibility. So they're trying to throw out every single other idea at Alice. Like, okay, well, I guess we're going to adopt a baby now. You know, I guess we're going to do this. You know, it's 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 just interesting writing for like a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Mm-hmm. What is Alice and Dan's living situation at the start of this movie? Because to me, it looks like they're living together. I thought so too. As high school yeah, yeah. seniors. But then like Dan has the line to Alice's dad, like, don't worry, I'll get her home by August. Just kidding. You know, because like, as we all know that women are communal property to be passed forth from one man to another. So... You know, that's another weird thing that's, that's true. in here. So, I don't know. Yeah, that is odd. I mean, I, I don't... I, I don't know if it... If if we should take time ironing out the logistical, you know? <laughs> Let's do it. Let's definitely do that. Let's dig deep into this minutiae right now. I, mean, I, I kind of think that... Because, it's... I mean, you know, the script was written and rewritten and rewritten, and the actors even said they would come in and the script would be rewritten, and it's just, it, it just feels like... I, it feels I mean, like it was they already... lived together and did it at the same time in the script. It does. It does. Maybe it was a dream. I mean, who was knows? she subletting? I mean, like, she... <laughs> because it definitely does feel like they are cohabiting together is like high school seniors that have not graduated and like dan hasn't even picked a call like the day of graduation like dan's father brings like a college recruit football coach to like come possibly sign him i'm like isn't this shit done like a year in advance like was it different in 89 like was it easier no okay no I think that whole movie is is basically just a series of continuity errors though because there's like what is it i forgot what her name is the the she works with alice in the diner and then she's also a nurse on the side mm -hmm. the vet the candy striper but also has time to to be a a waitress as well um, and and do swim practice like christ Right. right her high school swim team her high school diving team is still competing after graduation <laughs> like, <Wow>. what <laughs> like did this any wild like did anyone that what did anyone like and look it's easy to be cynical it's easy to be like the people behind they're going to be like who fucking cares just get freddie on the screen but i think there comes a point like when you're watching these movies like you feel like your intelligence is a little bit insulted yeah right? <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's almost like, hey, in five years, we're going to come back for prom. You know, I mean, it's just like, um, but again, abortion. I, I kind of want, you know, I, it's thrown out very quickly by Mark. Like you can like, well, you could. And it makes sense. Like what he's saying there makes sense. It's not just about the discussion isn't, by the way, the discussion is not even about Alice. Like, hey, Alice, what is best for you? Like, are you prepared to raise a baby? Yeah. You know, like, are you, what are you going to have to give up if you decide to raise this child? That's never even entered into the discussion for a half a second. What's entered in is like, if you abort the baby, then Freddie can't come back into the world. Um, And in some ways you can kind of like, just like in Friday the 13th part six, you can pin 
every single death that happens after the pre-credit sequence of that movie on Tommy. Everyone that dies in six, seven, eight, nine, Jason goes to hell, Freddy versus Jason, Jason X, it's all Tommy's fault. He's the dumb motherfucker that stuck him with a stake. Yeah. Right? By the same token, since Alice didn't terminate the pregnancy, everyone that dies in five, in Freddy's dead, in Freddy versus Jason, because that's the same continuity, not New Nightmare, this is all Alice's fault. Like she has the blood of so many innocent people on her hands. And I just want to know, like, when is Lisa Wilcox going to be stopped? (laughs) I made a list of, of all the times I could think of where there was like a pregnancy that was either a harbinger of doom or definitely going to be deadly to the mother of like Mm -hmm. me that I could think of. So like Susanna from the Dark Tower um, is specifically stopped when she gets pregnant uh, Mm -hmm. by Father Callahan. Bella Mm -hmm. from Breaking Dawn from the Twilight series. Mm -hmm. um, They repeatedly are like, you should not have this baby because you'll die. And she insists on having it. Mm -hmm. The the movie Devils Do, um, A Quiet Place even. Like it's it's fascinating how often Mm -hmm. pregnancy is basically just, it does not matter what happens to you or anyone else. You are having this baby. Right. I think for Alice, it's not so much uh, that she wants to have the baby, I think. I think it's more of the fact that she wants to have uh, a, a piece of Dan still, that she ends up growing to love it, you know? She she loses her partner, somebody that she loves very much, you know? Like, what's that line from four? Like, something about, like, one big hunk or something? You are one giant hunk. There you go, like giant Sorry, I'm high. Giant. But, uh, you know, like, it's just holding on like a hunk to of burn something. love, I don't know. <laughs> right? It's just holding on to something that means a lot to you, you know? And I, I it's, it's interesting because it's definitely an anti-abortion movie, but at the same time, I feel like even that's not fleshed out. Like, even that's happening. No, it was coincidentally, like, their, their abortion was coincidentally part of this movie. There was never any plan behind it. Um, Mm -hmm. there was no, it was, it wasn't thought out. It wasn't flushed out. It was just, let's get her pregnant. Let's throw this in the air and then let's just have her stay pregnant. Right. Because I mean, there's no movie if she doesn't. So, but by, yeah. And by failing to even consider it, then, you know, it becomes like a pro life movie at that point because it's it's taken off the table and look, being pro choice doesn't necessarily mean that someone is pro abortion. Right. I mean, yeah. it, it means nobody that, is pro-abortion. Right. Nobody is out there saying let's abort. Like that's never what pro-choice means. Well, <laughs> someone is. You know that someone <laughs> out there is. <laughs> Someone's just a one-person, a one-person campaign one of, of let's abort. I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah. I'm, Svera, hey. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have cut you off like that. I'm sorry. Continue because <laughs> I think it's important that this is what you're saying right now. It's really important. So please, I'm sorry. No, but 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 you're right in that in that it pro-choice all it means is pro-choice that's literally all it means there's nobody there's not one person okay there's one person but out there just you know giving their all for abortion it just doesn't happen that way and mm-hmm. um and, and and yeah i mean it would be nice if alice had made the correct choice here which you know was probably to end evil 
uh, I guess. Mm -hmm. But, but, you know, I've had friends who's had shitty little kids too. So, (laughs) (laughs) right. (laughs) Happens to everyone. The way way that I've always looked at it and I'm not trying to get political, so I'll, I'll keep it relatively short is that I'm not pro-abortion at all. My stance on pro-choice and abortion is this. It's not my fucking place to tell anyone what they need right. to do. You know, also, it's, it's not as a man and just a human being. It's not my place to tell a woman what she has to do with her body. Like, it's, mm-hmm. that's disgusting that people feel like they have ownership of other people. Also, pro-choice is pro-life. It's pro-women's life. Like, it's, it's, it's bananas to me that it's thought yeah. of any different. And, and, and I'm so glad you said that, because I know, like, I've had persons in my life that I'm very close with that had to make the decision to abort their child because, like, it was going to cause very serious health complications up to and including death for the person. And it was their choice to make. And they get demonized by certain persons of certain ilk for that you know and it's just it's horrible and by the way like and again we're going to go down a left-wing social justice warrior pathway here kids so strap in i would just like to remind folks that the same persons that are pro-life and pro-fetus and claim to be are more than okay with 192,000 dead americans to date um due to the COVID virus, as long as it meant that the stock market didn't crash. Like, absolutely, you have the Lieutenant Governor of Texas saying, um, I think that like the patriotic choice is to die rather than see the market economy crash at this point. And it, all of a sudden, like, you know, and we're seeing it in this rush of like businesses reopening of sending children i think it was iowa today that said well since if you're around someone for 15 minutes within six feet um you have a greater chance of contracting covid what we're going to do kids is you're all going to go back to school but every 14 minutes you're going to get up and move around a little are you serious yes wait did that that's a real real? thing that's real (laughs) this is not the onion that's in Um, that's in iowa that's in iowa um, Heartland you know, of America. The idea is not like let's do what's right, and you know I I'm a counselor. I work with How teachers. Is a child, I'm sorry, going to mm-hmm. concentrate when they are up and moving every 14 minutes. To be fair, kids in school don't sit still for more than three minutes because they're a bunch of little fuckers. <laughs> See, I, um, I thought I thought that fair. Slipknot was the wackiest thing out of Iowa. Now that <laughs> <Yeah>. is. <laughs> um, but and again, I've heard this like a thousand times since the start of this, like, oh, teachers and counselors and first responders and grocery store workers, like, you're all heroes. Like, I am not a hero, for folks. I am a coward. I would absolutely use my daughter, who I love more than anything, as a human shield if I had to. <laughs> I, I am not... I am by no means, I am by no means brave. All right. If I had a motto, it would be not in the face, please. (laughs) I don't want to be a hero. I just want to go do my job and get paid. And I want to be able to to do that in like as safe of conditions as humanly possible. And right now it's not safe to do a lot of the things we love to do. So that's my diatribe on the party of really really quickly though have you seen feast 2 no 
There's a there's scene a in Feast, Feast 2. two. There's three of them. Uh, there's a, fe- a scene in Feast 2 where this dude rescues this baby and all the monsters are running after him. And he, he's holding this baby, running, running with, with fervor. With, I mean, he's just running as fast as he can. And the monsters are getting close. And the guy realizes if he doesn't do something quick, the monsters are, are going to get him. <laughs> so he throws the fucking baby in the air <laughs> and keeps running. <laughs> Oh, oh, that's what that reminded me of. We need to cover the Feast series sooner than oh, later. Yes, I'm watching <laughs> Feast too. <laughs> when Ada, when Ada was born, uh, first we went out for a night. We went, so we did like an overnight at like a beach in Rhode Island. And the next day, we're on the beach, and Ada's in her little carrier, and it was like two lobster rolls for like 10 bucks. It was, I mean, like just, I mean, like great. And it's like Rhode Island lobster. So they probably had like cigarette butts in their claws and whatever, mm. but two for 10 bucks, fuck it, I'm in. So I'm having there, I'm eating my lobster rolls and I get attacked by seagulls. So I do what anyone would do and I throw the lobster rolls and they land in the baby carrier. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Poor kid. <laughs> oh man, I've lost it. I've completely lost it. Excuse me. So, oh, uh, so Freddy Krueger. <laughs> well, I think if we're going to talk about, you know, the pandemic in general and people losing their lives, I think one thing that we can talk about, right, is social gatherings. And that can bring us back around to dinner parties. Yes. And thank you. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I think that um, when it comes to the deaths in this movie, there's only the three and there are three very memorable deaths right like these are three deaths that as they are are graphic and horrifying and Greta's in particular is one Mm -hmm. that stuck with me I've always had this thing with um this weird relationship with food Mm -hmm. um and I remember back in the day there was a um a Tales from the Dark Side? I don't, I don't, there was a Tales from the Dark Side, I don't remember the, the name of it, but it was one where a woman was overweight and she, um, she sent away for a, a diet plan and in the mail comes this little earbud and her food starts talking to her and then came these glasses and her, she can see her food talking to her and by the end of the movie she can't eat because her bananas are her friends and she sews her mouth shut and it's really this grotesque awful image and ever since like seeing that as as a young kid food type things and Mm -hmm. food type kills and food type horror um on top of the body horror that was implied with Greta's death it, it, it was just it was a lot it's that death is one of the most off putting uh deaths in the whole franchise for me Mm. like my entire life i've had this weird eating disorder that i vomit almost after every single meal i eat i don't know what it is i've seen so many doctors they can't figure it out they can't put a label on it but like i've always had an eating disorder i i vomit almost every meal and so greta's death even from an early age like it was oh man it was like it's like being afraid of cockroaches and then watching uh, you know the death in four you know like it's it's not triggering, like I'm, I don't have PTSD watching Nightmare on Elm Street 5, but like that's the one death that just gets under my skin and it just makes me feel so uncomfortable because someone who's constantly thinking about what they eat and the effect that it'll have on them, and especially all these things that Greta's mom puts on her, like that's the thing I wrote in my notes when it comes to the characters. The character of Greta 
is definitely a standout for me because she's superficial, not because of herself, but only because like the pressures that her mom puts on her. Gren's actually the, the kind of anti-thesis of the typical prima donna character that would be kind of a cliche in these kind of movies. Mm-hmm. You know, Greta's, Greta's a really great character, but every cliche thing that those characters usually have are only in that character because of this kind of like expectation that her mom puts on her. So to see her mom, it's an ultimate nightmare. To see your mom who puts all the stuff on you basically laughing and all of her friends feeding you yourself until you die like it's 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 hard to watch for me mm-hmm. i yeah i also i'm someone that has like struggled with my weight for like 20 years now um to the point where like i definitely need to make some changes um or you know i just i'm leaving myself susceptible so some very some very bad things happening to me overall so like seeing her like have all of that food force fed to her is super uncomfortable to watch. Like it's one of those things that I see that. And I also have a thing, like one of the things that not triggering for me in horror, but like one of the things that like definitely gets under my skin when I watch horror movies is when someone is like helpless like they don't have any ability to fight back whatsoever. Mm. And she's like Mm. strapped into this chair and there's this like very surreal almost camp atmosphere to that scene i put in my notes it actually reminded me of like beetlejuice in a very Mm -hmm. odd way i can see that yeah there because like greta's mom looks very very much um like her hairstyle and like the big shoulder pads make her look a little bit more masculine and it's this heightened sense of camp like she to me and i'm trying to i know the character is called otho um and it's the actor who plays it was glenn shaddix in beetlejuice it looks yeah. like that to me so i'd see in this that's kill in particular like the uncut version of that is mm. literally freddie scooping out her innards and feeding them to her um and i know it's meant to recall like monty python and uh monty python and the meaning of life where you have like the joke is like the super fat dude who eats a lot. It's like better, better what? You better get a bucket. I'm going to throw up, you know? And then he eats like the wafer thin mint and explodes. And like, look, I'm a very rotund round person. Um, and fat jokes probably should get under my skin a lot more than they do. But for whatever reason, like they kind of go off my shoulders, but I can understand why you shouldn't be making fun of a person for the way they look, whether it's their weight. Honestly, I think the part of that whole scene that gets me the most, it's, I feel like the entire scene is a setup to this really, and I hate to use the word heartbreaking because I'm not crying over Mm -hmm. it. It's just uncomfortable to watch is when Alice opens the fridge and Greta pops out with both of her arms reaching forward, you know, mm-hmm. basically yeah. begging, begging for help while her whole mouth is stuffed. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, it's, dude, it's, it's kind of terrifying to be honest. No, yeah. she's she's like the only one that gets brought back too, because she's used to torment. Is it Yvette later, where she's up on the yeah, like, yeah. Up, up from yeah, above, you're right, scooping more guts out. Mm-hmm. So she's the only one that gets double, uh, sort of brought back again, so we can, you know, feel that joy a second time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I, oh, good. Nope, go ahead, Jerry. No, 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 no. I was just going to say that, you know, this film does only have 
three kind of official deaths in it, like, like we said. But what makes this movie stand out so much from the other ones is even though there wasn't that much character development in this movie, you feel all three of those deaths. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do with the practical effects. Yeah. I mean, Dan's death is fucking wild. Yeah. Especially, mm. especially the uncut version. Oh. Like it is, it, you feel that death and it's so painful to watch. And even the setup to it, like Dan in the truck and yeah. he hears his mother's voice on the radio saying what a screw up he is. Um, like what, an, you know, I think in the back of our heads, we all wonder what our parents really think of us. Like, do they love us? Do they appreciate us? And like, so, you know, you have that, like, that's such a great audible cue that you're now in the dream sequence overall. And then you're right. Like watching uh, the never sleep alone documentary in preparation for this, when they show like what, and God, you feel so bad for K and B all the work that they put in, to this sequence and you see like a fraction of it overall. Um, what you see is pretty cool, but like that, there's like a very much like a gigarat. I mean, it's like very much like the blending yeah. of like cyberpunk that you know, we talked about splatterpunk earlier, but that kind of like body horror and cyberpunk that you would see out of HR Giger, which the Elm Street series never really does. And it's so good here. Especially that skeleton towards the end of that sequence where you mm -hmm. see his head and he's he's basically like melded into that the motorcycle and his head's kind of like mm -hmm. the skin's kind of ripped off and he has mm -hmm. the skeleton aspect to it. Oh god, I love it. Mm -hmm. So my question for the panel does do Freddy's one liners during this sequence enhance that scene or does it really detract from it? I, see, I, I appreciate them for what they are, but I honestly think the movie's so dark that this movie could have done without them. Mm -hmm. Except except for Mark's death. I don't remember them in this one. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're not great. They're, I think I remember Bon Appetit, bitch. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's so... That's such a flaccid joke. Like there were so many more jokes he could have yeah. they could have put in there that I, I don't even remember them to to comment on them much either way. The, I think mm -hmm. the only good one liner that I remember from Freddie in this entire movie was the was the we'll see, bitch. That's mm -hmm. it. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah, were... I think. Yeah, I. I mean. I'm here for Freddie's one-liners. Like, I will take them. I will happily be a part of Freddie's one-liners. I don't have any problem with any of them in this movie. They're, I, I think they're really weak. Like, I think they're really weakly written, and but they're delivered with such gusto. So I, I, I'm good. I'm good with it. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think that, like, by by this point, like, like you said, Justin, none of these are memorable. Like, don't dream and drive. Like, oh my fucking God, that is... <laughs> I forgot God. about that. You know, like a little oh piece God, of so like funny. Robert England's soul just died when he said that. And he just went... I don't know if it does. I feel like he really gets a lot of enjoyment over the real mm -hmm. shitty lines too. Yeah, I feel like, like he really loves this character. Mm -hmm. He also and... gets that champagne sequence in that same scene. And that's a lot of fun to watch when he pours the champagne on his arm and it kind of just like falls off mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. and it becomes a seatbelt seat yeah <laughs> and that's that's awesome and creative yeah. and fucking great 
and then you get like don't dream and drive and you're like it's a boy it's a boy (laughs) you look back on like like you said justin there's nothing that's like memorable like there are in the first four movies where you have like Welcome to prime time, bitch. And Blood like, face. Oh, yeah. So like, you've got the body and I've got the brains. Like you have like all of these really fantastic and memorable one-liners. Like you, you know, like you can check in, but you can't check out. Um, and you almost get the sense by part five that like even Robert Anglin, who always gives it 110% and like, he never phones it in. Do you know what I mean? Like there's never that. There's never any of these movies where you feel like, you know, it's not like Rocky Five where you're like, oh God, why are we back for this at this point? You know, you're almost kind of a little bit embarrassed by it. Um, it's even he is a little bit like, are we really doing more of these at this point? Like, really? <laughs> well, there's there's that one there's that one part I love this part so much in Never Sleep Again where it's behind the scenes of Nightmare Four and it's the waterbed thing. Mm-hmm. And remember, Robert England asked Freddie's on top of it because, like, okay, guys, we've done this a hundred times. Can we fucking get it? Like, yeah. he's so annoyed. <laughs> and I, I feel like that's maybe his experience on most of five. Yeah, because you got to figure like that makeup cannot feel good. You know what I mean? Like that makeup. That makeup mm-hmm. too in five. Just to talk on that, like they made him so saggy and old man like in mm-hmm. five. Like his neck was just full of rolls, and he just looked. I don't know. He just looked old and sad. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, I don't really and have feelings toward him to be at clear, all. But to be clear, we're talking about Robert, Robert England, the person, not Freddie. The Krueger. person, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he looks old and sad. <laughs> so I read but that. that sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I read that uh, for the makeup for five. They actually specifically redesigned it to make it easier to apply which mm-hmm. may be why it doesn't look oh. as good either because yeah. it's one of those see that that must things. be that must be the excuse for freddy's dead then because <laughs> that's just rubbery well i think <laughs> is it nick lazaro that does the makeup on part five i think i know burger was one of the ones that was applying the makeup and he you know but i think like nick lazaro said they specifically wanted to get away from the Kevin Yeager look. And like you said, Vera, like they did specifically try to age him a yeah. little bit and make him look older. Um, and there are a couple parts in this where it just looks like a cheap Halloween mask. And not the whole thing, but like the sequence that I think of is like when Freddy realizes that Amanda is like somewhere pretty, almost like retreats and he gets scared. For a moment and you see him kind of shirk back and pull back into like that boiler room the makeup in that sequence doesn't look like it doesn't look up to snuff compared to like what we're used to in one two three and four like it definitely has that justin like you were saying like let's just get it on quick and make you know let's make sure robert is comfortable i mean i get it and he, he's mm-hmm. he's kind of the talent but yeah so it just it, it just doesn't look the same he also they they made him progressively look more and more witch-like with his nose it's mm-hmm. gotten longer and pointier mm-hmm. as it's gone along mm-hmm. so I, I guess that that does fittingly culminate with the the wicked witch joke in the next movie yeah. so and he's which i love the next movie i love freddy's dead 
And what's cool about uh, Freddy's Dead, like I'm not a it's huge everything. fan of it, but you, you also get a glimpse of that movie in this one. And it's Mark's death. Mark's death 100% feels like a death that would be in Freddy's Dead. You mm-hmm. know, like, like it's on par with like the video game death. Mm-hmm. You know, Mark, this, this comic book fan, which is interesting, an interesting take on horror fans, I think. I've always found that about Mark. And he's one of my favorite characters in general in this series. Mm. Uh, is that the kind of mainstream people, and I'm not saying like horror fans are like our own little cool people, but like the more mainstream people that don't get horror, they kind of think like, oh, you watch these movies, you must be evil. You know, you must be this. Like, like, like we don't, like people don't have the same fears that they do. And I, that's what I love about Mark. He's a comic book fan, loves the gory comics, loves everything, but he's scared of blood in real life. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it shows kind of like individuality. It shows that he's like everyone else. And I, I just love that character in general. And his death scene, it's so kind of fantastical and silly that it feels like something straight out of Freddy's Dead. And it almost doesn't fit the whole tone of this movie at all. You know, I like it's just, yeah. it's just kind of wild, funny death, you know, like all the colors stripped. You know, he Mark becomes a phantom marauder and he shoots Freddy. And then Michael Bailey Smith plays Freddy for a sequence. Yeah. And that's super Freddy. Which is awful, by the way. It's so bad. <laughs> it's fucking bad. It's so. But that means. Faster than a bastard maniac. More powerful than a local madman. Yes. Super Freddy. Told ya. Comic books was bad for you. But but it's just so funny that like Freddy just basically like cuts paper and then like the blood as ink like you know runs out. Like it's such a silly death scene, and I love it. But it just does not fit the movie at all. It it should have been in Freddy's Dead, I think. No, I was just gonna say you're right. Fitting with the other like very Cronenberg body horror deaths, this one was very aha, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert! It's my f- daughter's favorite death in the sequence right now. Yes. But yes. getting back, like how bad like the the one liners like. I, I forgot about them until you mentioned Super Freddy. Jerry, that's how not memorable the <laughs> it's like faster than a bastard maniac, which I remember at that point, Ada just paused the movie and went, what the, what does that mean, dad? Like, what does that, and not like what's a bastard, but like what is faster than a bastard maniac even mean? Like are bastard maniacs known for their speed? Like, is that? <laughs> Those so, little guys yeah. in this are such like, that's a phrase. Use that. Yeah. Like, more powerful than a loco madman. Well, <laughs> so I'm bad. sorry. Guys, I love these. So keep going. <laughs> these are bad. These oh, are Lord. awful. Oh, man. And then told you comic books was bad for you. Just, you know. Okay, that one I take offense to, motherfucker, Freddy. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> you better watch it with that. But you're right. Like, so the the death here, like it is so, it's super creative. Um, 
it's really i mean like it is really cool like to have you know this this kid who like loves comics like turned into one and then slashed to ribbons um it just maybe doesn't fit like the overall it's like that wild pendulum swing because you go from this to like this absolutely gothic nightmare for the last 30 minutes of the movie and it's you get whiplash trying to keep up with like the tone of this movie overall well that that ends the way it was written and the way the actor that played mark wanted to play it like mark was supposed to be like this big like sisters of mercy Bauhaus goth character so it would have fit better but whatever stephen hopkins and the costume person had like whatever they smoked that day <laughs> Like he comes off like like he's like one step away from buying trip pants. Dude, he is like an extra in like House Party the movie. Yeah, he is going for here. Yeah, I do give them kudos though because this is the only one I think since the third one where someone has used like dream power to try to fight back because this kind of had a similar tone to me as like the wizard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, right. It's a crazy movie. (laughs) <laughs> and, and the actor like Joe Seeley, he didn't really go on to do much else after this, did he? I'm just taking a look right now. Like his credits are all like after this, like pedestrian and you know, the creep and you know, um drunk mime, which I'm I'm oh. down for that. I am totally down. So it's like I wonder like if he kind of had this idea, here's how I want to play this role and um Stephen Hopkins and everyone else is like yeah 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 just fucking throw this on we got to figure how to make the staircase sequence work and now he's drunk mime now he's drunk mime should have not his even gut, dude <laughs> not even as a role like he's actually a drunk mime he could have been he could have been sober mime if he would have went he with his gut could have been <laughs> Jerry I see a note here you talk a bit about oh here's what I want to note this is the first movie to me that like the cast chemistry is not really there and it's mm-hmm. what's really weird to me, and, and I don't know why I get fixated on this. It's weird how Alice and Dan, less than a year after Dream Warriors, I'm sorry, Dream Master, have this totally new group of friends that are never mentioned in Dream Master, even in passing, and none of them have any idea what the two of them have been through. And there's never even a mention. Oh, by the way, your dead bro- of your dead brother and like all your buddies you lost a year ago. I was about to say they're they're going to the same school, aren't they? So yes. don't they remember <laughs> the girl that like cult, like died of an asthma attack in the middle right. of class? Surely that's something think, that makes an impact. Do you think Alice and Dan like printed out flyers and handed them to like Yvonne and Greta one day, saying, "Hey, our whole friends, our whole friend crew died. Do you guys want to hang?" Wouldn't you shun them? If like, and well, look, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you like naturally, these are the two people. That, I mean, like Dan is a hunk. All right. Dan definitely is a hunk. So maybe Dan gets a pass. Well, gee, but Lisa Wilcox is really beautiful too. All right. Yeah. They're very beautiful. So they would not. Yeah. Be shot. But most yeah. people like if your whole friend group dies in really horrific ways over the span of like a week, you are not you're transferring schools well that and like these these this new group of friends there's no way you could get that tight with someone within like less than a year enough Mm -hmm. to write a rap song together Mm -hmm. you know like (laughs) i feel like you haven't written enough rap songs with acquaintances jerry (laughs) i I haven't i'm sorry it's my bad 
<laughs> oh god we have to edit we have to edit the part of the script reading with the rap song at the end of this song. i don't have think to, we do i don't think i'm digging through that whole fucking episode <laughs> no but like think I'm, if you think i'm sitting through the three hours of that show to find those 30 seconds dude you are oh, so fucking Lord. high right now right <laughs> that's true i will no. do a, i will do a lot I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. <laughs> that's that's your meatloaf. That's your meatloaf yes. ultimatum thing. I no, that like I, I I I know what you mean. Uh, it is weird that out of nowhere, less than a year later, you know, they have a, a new set of friends mm-hmm. that have no idea about Freddie when the whole town basically knows about Freddie. You know, but like, of, sorry, go mm-hmm. ahead. No, 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 no. Go, go for it. Yeah, go for I was it. I going to say I felt I, I felt similar in the fourth one though. Like three of those characters were in an asylum, like. And their mm-hmm. friends all got murdered. And it, it, I felt like in the fourth one, they just kind of, they seem to have adjusted really well to being back mm-hmm. among people and surviving a dream demon. So Dude, Joe, Joey's, these... Joey's a badass in four. Like, yeah. how did he get that much of a, you know, have a, right. that great of a summer? But I thought four handled it really well in that, like, it wasn't like Kincaid and Joey were part of the same group of friends with, like, Rick and Dan um, and Debbie. That's true. You know, like they were separate, and there's even that one scene with just a bit of tension where, like, Rick and Kincaid are going to throw hands at one point. You know, I mean, they're definitely yeah. so there's that tension that goes, but you're right, like, they definitely are well adjusted for being back out of like a lockdown psych unit. Um, after again seeing a number of their friends being brutally murdered. Yeah, point. but there there was a lot of growth, though, to be honest. I mean, like we mentioned on the last episode, Joey went through such a growth that he got that teardrop murder tattoo removed. removed. So I think he's adjusted now. Mm-hmm. Well, considering but, Joey's dreams, man, he had a lot of growth below the waist. I mean, that's pretty much... <laughs> this episode... This I is, think, honestly, though... This is what and, happens when I don't write 10 pages of notes right, and go off the right. cuff. Honestly, <laughs> though, like, all joking aside, all joking aside for me, this movie does have something that I appreciate the hell out of for. Mm-hmm. It has what is, in my opinion, one of the best character arcs in the entire series. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, you know, we meet Alice and Rick's dad, Mr. Jordan, and he's an abusive, alcoholic, just piece of shit. He treats his kids like garbage. He's just mentally and verbally abusive towards Alice. He resents his kids for everything. By five, the Mr. Jordan we see in this movie is a sad, insecure father who hates who he was so Mm -hmm. much that he hides in the shadows at her graduation because he doesn't want everyone to see her dad there. You Mm -hmm. know, like he's such a he's such a giving and supportive dad in this one that like it kind of warms your heart to see that character arc. And then kudos to that actor because he had some like Christopher Reeve level of of monitoring his own body language, the way he was mm-hmm. able to to flip from that sort of swaggering drunk like Alice, watch yourself. You're wearing that. Fuck you. And mm-hmm. to suddenly looking so sheepish and like I don't know what to do with my hands in the picture. It's it's such good acting. Yeah, like uh, it's probably one of my be- my favorite performances in the series is is I can't remember the actor's name, but yeah, yeah, Mr. Jordan in this movie for sure. He has that line 
where he looks at it, when when Alice asks, like, are you disappointed in me? And he's like, no, of course I'm not. And which is, you know, a really nice line for one. Like there's not, like Alice is never shamed for being pregnant at like 18 years old. Like it's never, that's one thing. It's like, she's never like shamed for that. He's like, you know, of course I'm not, um, I'm, I'm not upset with you. But he's like, you know what? It might actually be pretty nice to have like the sound of like little feet running around the the house again. And it's like a nod to like Rick. It's like a moment the two of them share you know, kind of acknowledging that like her brother and his son have been, is dead at that point. And it's subtle. Like Mm -hmm. the way his eyes shift back and forth when he talks about how it might be nice again. Like there's such an uncomfortable uh, aspect to that performance. And it's weird that we're going as deep into this guy's performance as, you know, as we are, but like it should be stated because like in a movie like, a Nightmare on Elm Street 5 with how little like a lot of character development went into a lot of the characters like this is the one character other than Alice that has went through such growth since the oh. previous film like you know like you know we get the new characters and they're really not that fleshed out but Alice has went through so much and is such a different character in this movie in a good way I mm-hmm. you know I love Alice in 4 but in this time she's very confident she owns the role and to be honest, I think Alice is just as strong as Robert England in this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, I think part of that is like England's not in this one a lot compared to three and four. Mm-hmm. It seems like a conscious decision. Like he's out of makeup for a, a chunk of it. Like you see when he attacks Alice in the first part of the movie, he's like doing it as one of the maniacs and not as Freddy. And it seems like there's a lot of... Um, insinuations of freddy like the motorcycle death overall like it's like you hear freddy's voice and you associate it but it's not necessarily freddy on the screen but i'm sorry i know you want to talk about alice so let's talk about her growth as a character in part five because i do think you're right like she seems like that much more confident character that we see at the end of dream warriors i've always loved the fact i've always loved that the fact that that character has insecurities like everyone else and it's usually when the pressure goes down and you know when it's time to rise to the occasion alice is the character that does it the most you know like the end of four especially and definitely this movie when it comes to jacob and how protective she is over you know over someone that she really hasn't met in the Mm -hmm. real world yet you know and i think that that speaks on you know, maybe the, mm. the the bond between a mother and her unborn child, you know, like Alice, and it's, it's, I think Lisa Wilcox does such a great job in this movie. Like mm. Alice, when it when she's supposed to, when she needs to be, Alice rises to the occasion and just kicks ass. And I don't mm. just mean a physical, in just a physical sense. I mean, the character is a very strong character. And I think Lisa Wilcox did a great job with it. Yeah. So, um, Here's where, because uh, I mentioned I had some complicated feelings about Amanda Kruger. This is where that kind of, because uh, to me, the two, the two sort of main characters of this series are Nancy and Alice. They are mm-hmm. the two that, that actually fight back against Freddy and, and win, right? And the fact that Nancy dies in the third one is uh, a bummer. But there, so if I can be 
a, a big dork for a second. Do it. We're all about <laughs> big dorks here. So um, there's a there was a run of Nightmare on Elm Street comics from Innovation uh, Comics, which is that they no longer exist. But there was this run of comics called Nightmares on Elm Street that took place after Dream Warrior, where um, Kristen, when Nancy died and she said she dreamed her into this this wonderful dream, what she does is create sort of an anti Freddy. Um, Nancy goes on to become sort of like a dream angel and a protector. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's where that, she should have been the Amanda Kruger role for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like she should have been that sort of final push to help. Like, I feel like it's a beautiful merging of Nancy dies, but she dies and in her death becomes something better and she can sort of help Alice defeat Freddy. If that's that makes interesting. sense. Mm-hmm. Hmm. No, we have no like emotional connection to Amanda Kruger because she's in like five minutes of the third one. And yeah. she's just kind of backstory in the fifth one. So, but if they had brought in Nancy, I, I don't know if like, I'm, you know, they didn't even have a script, but if they brought in Nancy, it would have had this emotional closing of mm. that chapter. And that's great. It's, it, I think you're right. And I think that like, it doesn't feel like Nancy got her due until long after the Elm Street movies were finished. Mm. And then you look back at the series as a whole and Heather Langenkamp's performance as a whole. um, And you see like where she is among the pantheon of like horror heroines. And I think like, and I think we kind of like the guests we had on for the dream master kind of all came to the conclusion that like Alice is probably the strongest heroine of the series and she gets the send off that you rarely get in horror movies at the end of part five she has her best friend by her side she has her father by her side she has her child and she gets to stroll off into the sunset and she doesn't even there's not even the you know i know you have like the sequence with like the young girl skipping rope in the nursery rhyme but there's not even that glamour of Freddie at the end of part four where he appears in a reflection mm-hmm. or you have like the last minute jump scare um, that throws everything into question. Like, no, Alice gets to literally walk off into the sunset. She literally takes a carriage into the sunset, never to be seen or heard from again. And she gets, you know, in part in Freddie's dead, all the children are gone. So you know that she's moved away at that point. Even Laurie oh, Strode sure. doesn't get that ending in the original Halloween series. She gets killed. Um, Sally in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like she escapes. There's no coming back from that, yeah. right? There's never going to be, no one ever expects to see Sally from Texas Chainsaw in any of the other movies again, because like her mind is gone. Jenny in Friday the 13th part two, like we never hear from again. Um, Alice gets that warm and fuzzy ending. I don't think Nancy got her just due until long after the Elm Street series ended and you realize just how proactive and strong a character that Heather Langenkamp developed with Nancy. So I really, I hadn't even given any thought about Nancy in that dream protector role, but I really like that idea, Justin. I mean, I wish I could take credit for it, but it was, uh, I don't remember the name of the author, but yeah, that's when I heard that, I was like, that is such a neat idea. How mm-hmm. did they not tap this writer? Or at least, mm-hmm. you know, like rip rip from the comics, man. That's what mm-hmm. that's really all they're yeah. used for anymore. Yeah. yeah. 
if they ever make another Elm Street movie, that's what I hope they do. Because I'm, I'm sure Heather would be interested in coming back and like, not uh, again, a soft defender of the remake. But if they ever do another one, I would love to see like one final showdown between those two, mm-hmm. where we could mm. give Nancy her her ride off into the sunset in some way. Because as as nice as New Nightmare is, it's not really Nancy's movie. That's Heather's movie. It's celebrating mm-hmm. her and her sort of seminal role in the franchise mm-hmm. but the character just kind of gets done dirty she just kind of gets off and then that's it what's interesting about new nightmare i don't think the movie gets it doesn't lure me in until the last third of it when heather langenkamp is no longer heather langenkamp she is nancy again i mean really like she's called nancy by you know papa saxon comes in and just refers to her as is is nancy and honestly and i don't want to get too far into new nightmare because people won't listen to us in two episodes when i (laughs) have some fucking scorching hot takes on that movie Mm. um but like like heather langenkamp as written in that movie is a fucking scold i mean like she's just like don't watch this horror movie and like she's almost like we talked about jerry you talked about how like the kind of people that are like aren't those movies like bad for you like that's how heather's character of heather comes off in new nightmare for well that's how that's how jamie lee curtis is in real life you know like like Mm -hmm. i was reading this interview with her and she was saying how and you know kid uh grown uh, uh parents bring their kids and be like yeah show my kids halloween and then she wants to say like what the hell is wrong with you you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's interesting i don't know oh. i mean me personally i just spent the last few days going through the entire hatchet series with my children so what do i know <laughs> why would you do that to yourself well first and foremost i kind of dig them Mm-hmm. And uh, to be honest, I just wanted to keep them up late at night crying. Yeah, they're all right. They're actually not too bad. <laughs> Victor Crowley is a bit of a tough rewatch. See, I like that one. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not my favorite. I think three mm-hmm. is my favorite just because it's so different and it's huge. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. I think after like Digging the Marrow, which I think is his best movie, to come back with like, and now we have this. It's kind of like, really? It's what we're doing well, I'm showing yeah, such I'm, potential. Yeah, I, you know, I, don't, I don't know if we're going to do the Hatchet movie, so we could get Oh, we're definitely doing that at some point. But we're I mean, I, mean I, I think following up Frozen with Hatchet 2 was kind of an interesting yeah. idea. But yeah. anyways. Anyway, we are going into the weeds now. What yes. else do we have on Dream Child right here? What am I missing? Uh, lack of good soundtrack songs. Yes, there's mm. no good soundtrack. You get you get drama rama and also Kumo D. Really good song. Kumo D. You, you get the Fat Boys and other ones. In the next movie, you get Goo Goo Dolls. Mm-hmm. You know, like and in Freddy versus Jason, you get oh man, the ultimate monster energy drink soundtrack. This one, this butt rock the album. This one, you get nothing. And I'm not dissing the score. Like I'm such a huge fan of movie scores. But like this, like I don't remember a single fucking cue from this movie. No, yeah. no. Going back and listening to the score for Elm Street too, like Christopher Young's score for that oh, is yes. brilliant. Even though it doesn't take a single cue from the first from <laughs> Charles Bernstein score, it's its own thing and it's fucking wonderful. But yeah, there is nothing in the Part Five score that I gun to my head I couldn't remember it right now. 
Um, no, I'm, I, you know, I'm not one of those guys that like wants every horror soundtrack to be like the monsters or masters of horror soundtracks. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't need the Saw three soundtrack for like you know the final chapter. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I understand that, but like I don't know, four was so song heavy, and even Freddy's Dead's kind of song heavy. Like this one's such an interesting in between of just having nothing like that. Right. See, I actually felt that tone. That, that was to me, I think, the, the, the marker of the tone shift because the fourth one, I, if I remember correctly, the first three all start with some sort of score. One and three, I think, both start with sort of the nightmare uh, Charles mm-hmm. Bernstein theme. And the fourth one starts with is that Dawkins song. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember, I remember I, I saw someone make the joke that it was uh, he's back, the man behind the claw. <laughs> <laughs> Dawkins uh, did Dream Warriors. The, yeah. the fourth one started out with Tuesday Night's uh, that's right. song. Tuesday yeah. Nights. But and then yeah. this one that because that's what that starts with is that very 80s sound. It's not we don't hear the nightmare theme, we hear Tuesday Night's song. Mm-hmm. This one starts with score, admittedly, score I can't remember, but score. And so it was. Tonally, I was like, oh, we're back to like serious Freddy. Okay. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Sort huh. of serious Freddy, but bad one liner Freddy and like <laughs> weird death Freddy. And again, it's that tone overall. You know what I wanted to talk about was the end of this movie because I think this is some of the, just like part four, some of the best effect work in the series overall. Like, my God, some of the stuff you see here. And I did not realize this until watching the documentary, but they hired a legless actor and basically attached him to Lisa Wilcox for that melding scene and like did him in the Freddy makeup. Like they went to that level of like, let's make it. And it's like that sequence and that effect of the two of them is this really kind of like bastardized Siamese twin is fucking awesome. It's so good. The MC Escher yeah. painting, like I, I love that they finally just lean into dreams don't make sense, so fuck it. Like mm-hmm. stairs that lead to nowhere, mm-hmm. you can walk upside down. Like I love that so much. Yeah, that's what the series should be. I think like that go big. Like you see, each movie gets progressively bigger, and you know I think that kind of peaked with Rennie Harlan a little bit, and with Stephen Hopkins a little bit, where it's like go big or go home, and like on very little money, like this only, this cost a little bit, they gave it 8 million bucks. So probably more than the first three movies cost to make combined, but like every single penny of that is well spent. And I bet a good chunk of that is going into England's pocket at this point as well. I mean, deservedly so, he's the star of it. Like, I mean, like he he earns every fucking penny he makes and more in all of these movies. Um, But, you know, like, everything is put on the screen like that stairway sequence is gorgeous that like when alice and vet first encounter the uh, abandoned asylum like it's lit in these garish purples and there's moss coming off it and it's this overwhelming structure and you're like this is just gorgeous and i think like what why this is probably out of all of the original series my least favorite and i still enjoy this movie but what i appreciated over even new nightmare is it feels so much bigger in scope to me than new nightmare does and there's so much imagination in this movie overall where like to me new nightmare often feels like a made for tv movie <laughs> i don't agree or at least i don't think of it as a, as a negative but i do kind of see your point because the new nightmare feels very 
Intimate. stripped down mm-hmm. yeah it's very much the a one-on-one horror and then there is also the not great effect of freddy in the sky yeah but when mm. i think of like stripped down i think of like punk rock balls to the wall tons of energy mm-hmm. and that's not new like this to me is a much more punk rock movie in terms of well, i think that's really that's intentional i think that was intentional though right because for the first half of new nightmare you're supposed to feel like your foot more in reality than the dream mm-hmm. world because it's mostly about Heather and all that sure. stuff. You're not supposed to get as invested in the dream world and that kind of stuff as we have been in the last few sequels. That's why mm-hmm. when you really get into it, the second half or at least the last quarter of that movie, it does get a lot mm-hmm. more like dreamlike and fantastical. I think it's mm-hmm. unintentional to be honest. Yeah. But I think like the whole point of new nightmare is to kind of, crap on the head of the later elm street movies in a way and i think that like and you see that continues in scream Mm -hmm. with like that line like the first one was great but the rest of them sucked and i'm sorry like part four doesn't suck part five doesn't suck freddy's dead doesn't suck like not many of them do no really the only bad movie to me is the remake and we'll get into that in just a few we'll definitely get into that in a few weeks but there is so much, even like at its worst, there's so much imagination going on here. Everyone is giving it all here. Like you said, you're like Lisa Wilcox give like gives like a fucking stellar performance in this movie. England gives mm-hmm. it his all here. Hopkins, who gets the job based on like these like almost like graphic novel panels that he brings to Bob Shea and says, here's my idea for the visuals of this movie, translates those. There's a lot of time we have these great ideas on paper, but they look awful on screen. This movie looks gothic and beautiful, um, even if the even it just doesn't have a script that is able to give Hopkins visual effects the justice that they deserve overall. Does that make sense? I mean, you kind of get where I'm. No, I, I agree 100%, mm-hmm. dude. For where sure. I watch New Nightmare and I see like a talk show sequence with like 20 people in the crowd. And I'm like, <laughs> this feels tiny to me. Mm-hmm. I can see that. All right. Anything else on, on Dream Child? It's getting a bit late. Is everybody I, kind of winding you know, down? I, I, think, I think I'm good. I think I, for me, I think we've covered you know, what we need to say about it. No, I'm good too. I think we've said a lot of things about this film that uh, needed to be said and some that didn't. And I mm-hmm. think that <laughs> I think it was a very productive conversation, Mike. Excellent. And we, if we if we took nothing else out of this conversation, if you learned oh, no. one thing, remember kids, you can't make babies in the butt. <laughs> God. Okay. Jeez. Look, it's homecoming season shortly. Kids are going to mm. want to get frisky. Mm. You know. Do it safe. Do it safe. <laughs> do it in the butt. I remember when Ada, and I talk about my daughter a lot in a very inappropriate way. Wait, I'm So I remember when Ada was really young and we'd go to like the splash pads and like, you know, she would like lift her bathing suit top up because she was two and, you know, kids do that. And I would yell like, do not show the goods until you're in high school. And parents would look at me absolutely horrified. Like, who is this fucking, I'm like, look, if she makes it to high school, and is in and, and that's when she's flashing people 
I've done my job because I know yeah. middle schoolers right now, man. I've had to like sit in with middle schoolers and be like, you really shouldn't be sending nudes. That's not a good oh idea. My God, okay. No. So if she gets to high school and isn't showing the goods, I'm parent of the fucking year in 2020. Okay. <laughs> God damn it. Don't judge me, listeners. Remember mm-hmm. me for how I was before this episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> not, not what you're mm-hmm. hearing tonight. Okay. All right. On that note, what do we have to promote? Vera, what do you have to promote? What are you working on doing? What's, how's the pandemic been treating you? Um, it's been great. Uh, love it. I love every minute of it. Um, that was sarcasm. I just get that, you know, I'm home. I work from home. So that's mm-hmm. really all I see are my four walls all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can follow me at Twitter at descent of a woman and, uh, that's that's really all I have to promote at this point in time. I would say that Vera is a must-follow. She's hilarious. Absolutely Thank you. One of the funniest people on Twitter in a good way um, and an awesome person. Um, and I hope, like, this, like you said, I know like we've talked before and I see your stuff. And sometimes I just want to check in and just be like, are you okay? Because like... <laughs> It's and I don't. That's God, the vibe so, I do so want to give off. You know, so I'm, glad. Like, I'm glad that comes through. Um, <laughs> because like I know that we all have like friends and loved ones that we're not getting to see right now, and you know, what are you doing to take care of yourself during? Like, what are you watching right now? Like, what's keeping you kind of? Oh my God, I'm literally watching everything, everything. Love Lovecraft Country, um, mm-hmm. The Vow. Um, if, I, I can't even think of what else is out there. Then I'm watching. Um, I'm catching up on what we do in the shadows mm-hmm. uh a lot of tv a lot of a lot of movies i just watched uh one br one bedroom um which which propelled me into rewatching the invitation and mm-hmm. uh two yeah. of the best two oh, one br is so great. great yeah one br is so good it is i was so good. fortunate really? to interview the director at telluride oh. uh through the q a with him when i was hosting back when I got to host things like film festivals and really cool old West towns. Yeah. Funny, funny little, funny little story about that movie. Uh, there's a small city, kind of more of a town about 45 minutes away from where I live called Corcoran. Mm-hmm. And it's this little rundown little like farming area. And I moved there for a year to stay with my friends when I was about 18 mm-hmm. to get a job. This has to do with one BR by the way. And to get a job at a pizza place delivering pizzas for a year to save up to buy a Les Paul and a half stack because I was in bands at that time and taking it serious. So I did it. And I would always go to my friend that I lived with because he was still in high school. I lived with his family to go to his theater class. And there was this, this kid that was in theater class that was super animated and outgoing. And his, his name was Clayton Hoff. And he's in that movie. Uh, and I worked with his dad and his dad was driving me to a concert once and smoked so much pot in that car that I, sh- I didn't smoke any. And I showed up at that concert high off my ass. And that, that kid, that kid went off to be a, a pretty good actor. And he's one of the, he's the kind of guy with a, I think kind of like the mustache in, in one bedroom, mm-hmm. Clayton Hoff, Clayton Hoff. But yeah, oh. I used to watch, I used to watch that guy like in, in like high school theater. He was always such yeah. a good actor. It's really good. And I would say like, I really like that you kind of Vera made the connection with that in the invitation, because I think both of those movies have two of the best, oh shit endings 
mm-hmm. that oh, like open up that similar. whole world yeah. at that point. So with no spoilers, oh, yeah. um, no. but no oh. spo- no spoilers. But it's Cthulhu. Um, it's there was Cthulhu. one other movie that I did recently watch that I don't think enough people know about, and it's on Shutter, and it's One Cut of the Dead, and I just can't mm-hmm. say enough good things about that movie. Um, it's perfect. It's genuine. It's pure. It's it's graphic. It's wonderful, and I think that everybody should watch it and love it because it is brilliant. It's great. I think I saw it that one day was on Amazon prime and didn't realize that it was a bootleg copy of it. And I oh. loved it and then realized I was doing the filmmakers no favor. So I need to mm-hmm. go back and watch that on, on shutter. Cause you're right. That is an absolutely like brilliant. Excellent. Brilliant yeah. I'll, I'll edit this part out. So opinions just, are like assholes. You can't get pregnant in them. You can't get pregnant. <laughs> an opinion has never made anyone pregnant before. So, um, so Justin, speaking about pregnancy and assholes and opinions, tell me about the rebirth of eerie earfuls. <laughs> Look at that fucking segue. Can we just let that sit for a second? That was masterful. Really was. I'm good. All right, eerie earfuls. So what, um, what if you don't mind me asking, you started in 2018? Mm-hmm. And what was the genesis of, of this show? So the genesis of this show was that I watch... Uh, far too many horror movies although uh, fewer in 2020 than I have mm-hmm. previously and I in my head there was a I think there was a Twitter game at some point that went around where people were they were it was like a if you could plan uh, uh, like a movie marathon for like a drive-in or something and you got to pick the programming what would it be and that sparked something in my head and I just kept making like double features and and movie mm-hmm. um marathons that would like thematically pair and uh, <clears throat> i was constantly texting them to my brother like these these two movies would go really great together these two movies would go really great together and eventually we uh i was like hey what if we watched two of them and then talked about like how they went together and so um what we did uh the trouble was that we were doing it every two weeks and i had a day job and was trying to edit three hour long conversations down to about an hour mm-hmm. and uh it was killing me and so eventually i i had to i had to say I, like i couldn't do it anymore but my brother didn't forget and uh over the next couple of years he was like man remember when we used to do that that was so much fun and so he agreed to edit it um and we agreed to try to cut down on our recording time mm-hmm and uh, so now, now we're back and we're doing the thing again. Yeah, it, the first episode back was, was it um, Candyman in the Shape of Water? Yep. And then you oh. got, so like two, like in, I'm looking at some of the pairings and they're like really interesting. Like um, Frankenstein and Carrie. Yeah, that was mine. Uh, that's the misunderstood monster pairing because Ooh. Carrie is billed as a monster, but she is, you know, the victim mm-hmm. of bullying and uh, even though Frankenstein's monster is supposed to be the monster of the movie, Boris Karloff is so sympathetic in that mm-hmm. role that, you know, it. you can't, like the scene where he kills that child in the trailer, and we actually play it in the episode, but in the trailer that they played for that movie, they, they make it seem like he just like drowned a child viciously, but it's mm-hmm. clearly like a confusion on his part because he doesn't understand, like he just sees pretty flowers floating, this girl's yeah. pretty, throw her in the water, she'll float, and then she doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my pairing. And then actually Shape of Water and Candyman is also my pairing because that was mm-hmm. romancing the monster because Candyman is very much a 
sort of Byronic Gothic romance and mm-hmm. Ship of Water is more of a classic Hollywood romance. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and Gremlins 2. That was my brother's pairing. Those were horror movie parody sequels done by the original directors. Ah, okay. So it's a really fun show. I definitely recommend that our listeners um, give this, you know, give it some love right now. Go out there, find it, listen to it, review. I think you'll enjoy it. Like I really enjoyed the um, Babadook and Elm Street remake episode. I think you did that one with your wife, if I remember correct. So um, yeah, I can't get my wife to come on the show to save. She definitely won't do that. So um, she just judges me when I sit on the toilet, basically. I just feel very <laughs> judged. Um, that's okay. That's okay. She's lovely. Um, today, I was very upset because like the air fryer my mom gave me broke. It just wouldn't power on. And it made me sad because I loved using it. And I said, like, it won't turn on. And she looked at me and said, well, have you plugged it in? And I just gave her this look of like death. I'm like, I know how... <laughs> I, I know how electronics work and that they require like appliances require power. Yes. And it did was. Did you plug it in, in though? Okay. I did. <laughs> it was like, uh, you guys are finding out a lot about me tonight and I'm not sure how comfortable I am listeners with some of these things. Um, so Justin, what have you been watching for this spooky season? Like what's, what you got coming up? Like what's on your plate? Uh, so, I mean, I've got a lot of my Netflix and Shudder and Hulu and Amazon Q's are, are just lousy with movies. Mostly, mm-hmm. uh, I've been watching Bob's Burgers for like the eighth time because mm-hmm. yeah. uh, I needed the comfort. Comfort food, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we we just released an episode uh, that was uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane and Goodnight Mommy. Mm-hmm. And oh. our next episode that we're going to try to record here in the next week or two is Shocker and Fallen. Justin, where can our where can our listeners find you on social media? Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at eerie underscore earfuls, and you can follow me on Twitter at whirling nerdish. Um, I have WordPresses for both just myself and for our eerie earfuls. It's eerieearfuls.wordpress.com and mm-hmm. whirlingnerdish.wordpress.com because I'm too cheap to buy an actual domain. <laughs> Same here. That's I think what our, uh, our Patreon is going to go to is actually buying a uh, site for a year and like doing something separate. So Jerry, oh, cool. are, you, are you there? Okay, good. Sorry about that, guys. I clicked the wrong button. Oh, no, no. I was just saying that that's a great combination. No. So and you mentioned that you've kind of taken a shift away from horror in your personal viewing habits which it's we're heading towards you know the most wonderful time of the year which i argue is a two-month season um but i think a lot of this right now i know when the lockdown first started i couldn't watch horror uh outside of like what we were doing for the show for like probably a solid month or two and i wonder if it's like that for you right now or it's like world is such a shitty horrible place right now like it's hard to get sucked into these movies it's it's not so much horror is more it's movies in general like mm-hmm. uh, we we watched we have watched most of Shit's Creek I think we're holding it off mm-hmm. because we don't want it to end mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. um, we we watched Shit's Creek we watched Bob's Burgers it's been mostly just like comfort stuff that I don't have to think about because mm-hmm. I've tried sit, sitting down and watching anything any movie uh, mm-hmm. and and just zoning out after fifteen minutes yeah. I know sometimes I'd be like, I don't have time to watch a movie right now, but then I'll like watch six episodes of a TV show. Yeah. 
Um, like right now I'm watching Cobra Kai and I'm trying to not watch all of it at once because it's so enjoyable and I don't want it to end. And it's like the best show that I've watched in a long time right now. Like I just get super into it. I mean, there's like a kid with a cleft palate on it who decides to like change his whole look and becomes like a Mohawk punk dude. And it's just fucking wonderful. Like I really, really think that it's like the most, I can't say enough good things about Cobra Kai folks. Matter of fact, I haven't run this by Jerry yet, but we're actually going to shift gears and just talk about Cobra Kai once the other street. <laughs> so Jerry, what's, what's going on for you, man? Uh, well, uh, my new EP, uh, a label got a hold of me and is actually releasing it on cassette, which I didn't even nice. know that was a thing oh. still. So there's a hundred of those being made, different colored uh, cassettes, I guess you could buy. Uh, that, uh, what else is going on? Uh, I'm just mostly reading a lot. Like uh, mm-hmm. I got ba- the Basket Full of Heads by Joe Hill, that kind mm. of collection. One of my favorite comic books of last year. Uh, that, uh, I watched Z last night, which I thought was fucking great. Oh man. There's oh, one moment it. in that movie. I, I, yep, oh, yeah. I know it. I loved that movie. Uh, I'm starting Ratchet for work because mm. I have a lot of Ratchet coverage uh, coming to Dread Central. I have a, a conversation with Sharon Stone and Sarah Paulson coming to Dread Central mm-hmm. that uh, I took part in recently. Uh, Cynthia Nixon, a bunch of people from that. I'm talking to Mick Garris tomorrow. I just have a lot of stuff going on. So, nice. Yeah, that, that's me. You're a very busy man. I try. So... I have an idea to run by. I think I mentioned this on Twitter and I think it's something our listeners might really enjoy. So every October, I think a lot of people post like they're like, this is what I'm watching in October. They do like the horror movie a day thing. And that's always tricky. Um, I have an idea for our listeners where I want to post like a, a, a calendar of like subgenres within horror. So like, Found footage one day, uh, Bad Dads another mm. day, Killer Kids another day, anthology movies, um, a horror movie directed by a person of color, a queer horror movie, a horror movie directed by a woman, um, J-horror, Spanish horror, French horror, basically grunting the gamut and making an open sheet that anyone can edit and make suggestions to and our listeners can look at it and maybe like they can pick something they want to watch that day or not. Um, or, you know, I'll pick something from that as the month goes on. And I kind of like want to do a lot of fun stuff this October and listeners yeah. like, I want to know, like, what do you want? Do you want watch parties from us? Do we do like Friday the 13th on PS4 together? What can we do together in October to make this as good of a Halloween as possible. And I don't want to just like flood us with a ton of different like bonus content and shows um, because I think that like that screws, screws us up a little bit. We bite off more than we can chew. Um, should we do a theme this October? Like, what do you think, Jerry? Like, do we do another series or do we just like pick some sort of like Halloween theme that we can do? Personally, I think we should take a break from our series and just do a theme. Let's just, you know, have fun with it, do a mm-hmm. theme and, and try something new. Like, well, yeah. obviously, we're not going to abandon the franchise, you know, uh, approach. That's what makes mm-hmm. our show. But yeah, I think it would be fun to kind of deviate for, for October. 
So listeners, help us pick a Halloween-inspired theme. Do we just go back and do the Halloween? No, we do not go back and redo all the <laughs> Halloween movies. Um, yes. So I'm really excited because in 2022, we're going to have another Scream movie to talk about. And I know that's Jerry's favorite. And I can't wait to talk Scream 5. The news broke today that Nev Campbell is officially back in the fold, which I think is also, great. So exciting. Also, also a guest that is going to be on our Elm Street alumni episode was also cast today in Scream 5, Kyle Gallner. Really? Yes. Did not know that. Yep. All right. Did we schedule? He's awesome, dude. He's great. Yes. Uh, We're working out the day right now, but yeah, he's coming on to talk the the remake. Excellent. He better talk some season two Veronica Mars with me. Right. So definitely. And I want to know, I want some horror stories about the goots. All right. I want some Steve Gutenberg behind the scenes gossip. Like <laughs> I want to hear that like Steve Gutenberg like wouldn't come on set unless like someone would slather him in butterscotch pudding. Like once his scenes are done, like I want some real weird shit. Um, I recently went on this Gutenberg binge, like very recently within the last month. I just watched like you. every, oh man, it felt good. It felt so good. It was more like Steve Gutenberg. Like it <laughs> felt just great. <laughs> oh my God. I was going to say, is it, is it good for you? That was it was good. That was the best <laughs> thing anyone's ever said on this show ever. <laughs> oh, that was great. I'm going to steal it and I'm going to edit you, you out can. and put myself in there. You should. I'm not doing that. Um, so in order to make some of these happen, things happen, folks, we, this is our plea right now for our Patreon. And I'm sure I'm going to insert a little commercial somewhere in here, but uh, we do have a Patreon. Go to patreon.com, pod, and the pendulum. Right now, we have bonus content up. We have full shows on Colorado Space and It Follows. Um, have we finalized a movie for September? I know we were talking maybe 976 Evil. Um, I think that's what we should go with. You think that's what we want to go with? All right. Let's do so it. our September bonus episode is going to be 976 Evil. I was thinking about the House on Haunted Hill for our October episode. I think that would be a nice kind of spooky, fun movie. I'm down with that. You're down with that? I'm thinking like the remake from 1999 with Jeffrey Rush and... Um, I think we're going to introduce Ada to that one tomorrow night. But, um, you know, these movies and these things cost money, folks. So the, the show is free, as you know. But if you want our bonus content, if you want early access to the Elm Street, um, the Elm Street interviews that we're doing with like Lisa Wilcox and Ira Hayden are already up. Kyle, uh, hopefully Kyle Gallner will be up very soon. Um, become a patron starts at two bucks. You get access to all the bonus content. We have a Slack channel on there. That's been a lot of fun. And I think we're going to probably do some watch alongs through that. So, you know, do the right thing. Give us your fucking money because so help me God. (laughs) If I have to keep pitching this goddamn Patreon every week, I'm going to lose it. Uh, But no, we appreciate all our listeners um we'd appreciate you more if you gave us money is that the right way to put it i mean like, <laughs> i don't perfect. know another i what don't really know close. another way to what a way to close all right follow us over at pod and pendulum on twitter follow us at facebook over um we have a group going on over there follow us to the grocery store and just yell shit at us you know and we'll be back next week with freddie's dead 
Thank you. Oh, stick around for a little bit bonus content. Ada is going to talk about her thoughts on the dream child and why she never wants to get pregnant. All right, everyone, have a great night. <laughs> bye bye. Right. Ha! How do you like my pram, huh? This is where I practice my death rattle. <laughs> go, 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 go. <laughs>
So that's what Freddy was. That's awful. <laughs> yes. I have never used a joke like that. <laughs> You've used jokes similar to that, but you never stooped down to that level. That level's pretty bad. So was Freddy at that level? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Okay, so he was no longer scary. He wasn't really Vacation Freddy, though, in this one. Vacation was he? Freddy. Was he Vacation Freddy in this one? I mean, he didn't have sunglasses. He definitely didn't have sunglasses. <laughs> what did you think of the look of some of the things, like the asylum and the staircase? How can somebody look at that place and say, this place is definitely okay and not haunted or messed up no. in any way? Yeah, that would definitely scream out haunted asylum if I looked at that, right? Also, why would somebody work there? You gotta get paid somehow, don't they? But there are like hundreds of other jobs better How than that. How do you that. know? Like, name one. Veterinarian. Well, you need to be a doctor to be a veterinarian. Not everyone's gonna do that. McDonald's worker. Maybe, but that probably paid better at the mental asylum. Hey, at least you won't get cursed. That's true. Speaking of cursed, what about Freddy's mom in this movie? What was her deal? She got a pretty crappy deal when she had to carry when she when she just had to absorb her baby of pure light and joy mm -hmm. and then she would have a a perfect son forever where the mom the other Mrs. mom Kruger. had to carry yeah. around this demon and try to keep him under control for the rest of eternity. Yeah, that's a bad deal. Poor Amanda Kruger gets a really bum deal in this She movie. needs she needs hugs. She gets, she gets trapped in an asylum with a hundred maniacs. She gives birth to the worst uh, murderer in the world, and then she has to carry baby Freddy around for all eternity. That's a pretty crappy deal. I mean, why can't the dad do that? Yeah, the dad should probably do more, I think. I think that's a good idea. Wait, the, does he even have a dad? Does he show course, up? Um, yeah, but it's not the real dad. It's in the next movie. Oh. It's his adoptive dad. Also, like... The dude, the father comes back and he's like, I'll save you, son. Mm hmm And it wasn't really the dad, though, was it? No, what was it? It was Freddy disguised as the dad. Yeah, that was pretty smart on Freddy's mm -hmm. part because he's only a fetus, mm -hmm. but also... What about the death of the dude in the truck? What did you think of that one on the motorcycle? On the motorcycle? The motorcycle death. Didn't he crash? Yes, that was pretty cool. It, de it was definitely not as cool as the other ones, but I still liked it. Okay. All right. So you, I thought that one was really cool, but what do I know? I'm a big dope. <laughs> yes. Okay. So any other thoughts on this movie? Any other thoughts on this movie? Um, I liked Alice better. You liked her better in this one? Yes. What did you like more about her? Oh, no. She just... She wasn't as boring. Okay, she was more exciting in this one. It wasn't just, I'm the protagonist, and I'm perfect. Okay, excellent. Did you think she seemed as good of friends with these kids as the ones in part four? No. I didn't think so either. All right, so what are your final thoughts on the dream child? Do you recommend Everybody it? keeps dying. Yes. All right, so we'll and be And I don't back. like it. Well, then don't watch horror movies. I know that, but like... Can there be at least, like, three people who live? Well, Alice lived, Vet lived, Yvette lived, and the baby lived. So that's three. Three people that I didn't forget existed for half the time. Oh, for Pete's sake. Okay, <laughs> so that is it for this week. We'll be back with next week's episode, Freddy's Dead. Hope you enjoyed this week's show. Any Bye. final words?
No. What book are you reading right now? Percy Jackson. Yeah. Percy Jackson. Well, which one though? It's the fifth book. Uh, yeah, and I accidentally skipped this, the first series okay. by accident, and I keep skipping a couple series whenever I read books. So we gotta get the new. So what series do you need next? Um, I already have the Lightning Thief. Okay. So how is the book you're reading now? Is it really good? Yes, The Blood of Olympias. And you, there's a character in it you really liked who came back. What was his deal? Miko. And what's Miko's deal? He has depression. He has depression? <laughs> okay. Excellent. What is depression? When you have the permanent sad. Permanent sad. Alright. Well, I don't know. Alright. Say I'm goodbye ten. to our That's true. Say goodbye to our listeners. Bye! Jerry just signed off without... He always does. Motherfucker. He always just fucking pieces out. It's he just is like, Mike. doesn't even say, have a good night. Nah. nah. Good show. Done. He's just like, fuck you guys. I'm Good taking to interview my more famouses. Yeah. <laughs> you know. The ironic thing about the Sharon Stone episode is he did the leg spreading thing for Sharon Stone. <laughs> So, sure, I had to pee. Thank you, guys. A likely yep. story, Jerry. A likely story. Do we leave this part in? I think we leave this part in. <laughs> oh.